liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Today I had on Judge Andrew Napolitano. If you're not f familiar with the judge, uh, get familiar. This guy has been defending liberty in a way that very few on earth have done in his lifetime. He's right up there in Ron Paul, in my opinion, in terms of uh, his accomplishments, his defense of liberty, and I am thrilled to have had him on. Later on in the episode, I will be having uh, a few of the live streams that I did with local people that have been uh, canceled as of late. And I think that their stories are very important. It will once again reinforce the necessity that people be looking for independent outlets, entrepreneurial uh, methodology to try and secure their financial freedom. Because once you hear these stories, I, I think you're going to, to see what I see, is that if you, if you want to think freely, if you want to be free, you're going to have no choice but to to start to really consider being an entrepreneur and taking your own fate into your own hands because these uh, these businesses are getting very crazy. And then lastly, I'm going to have on a Libertarian Party candidate from the state of Arizona. He's running for Congress, and I wanted to basically challenge him. I wanted to, I want to challenge all candidates for the LP that are running. Uh, I think that we have a very limited window of opportunity where we can actually make a difference in this world uh, because I think that the economic collapse is imminent. I think that the societal collapse is unfortunately imminent as well. And I want to make sure that anybody that's running for office carries that sort of messaging with them. Because if they're not, first off, they stand no chance. Uh, you're not going to reach the, the people that are, are actually seeing this for what it is, the danger that we're all in. Uh, so why? Why would you run if you don't see it that way? And how do you expect to make a difference in the world if you're not going to be honest about what you're seeing? Uh, so yeah, I'll let you judge for yourself whether or not he sees the issues as seriously as, as I do, and I think most of my audience does. And uh, let's hope that there's some candidates that, that plan on running that are going to listen to this and say to themselves, yeah, Clint's right. <laughs> we We need to... We need to be very open and honest about our position, our view of the world, and we're not going to run away from it. People are not looking for soft peddling of the problems that are in front of us. People want truth tellers. They want honesty. If you're going to run as a Libertarian Party candidate and you're going to try and obfuscate, hide that, put a, you know, a smiling face on the tyranny that we've been experiencing, I don't think you stand a chance of winning much less making a difference in this world. We need to wake people up. First and foremost, your electability is extremely in doubt. And I think that the only chance that you have of being electable is acting as if you are not electable, telling the truths that you are not allowed to say. And that's what I encouraged him to do. That's what I'm encouraging everyone to do. Tell the truth. And if you're concerned with cancel culture, you know where to go. Go to crash.co forward slash daily and sign up for the Daily Job Hunt newsletter. It is a once daily email that hits your inbox every morning, gives you a quick couple minute read on how to become a better job applicant. I read it every day and I'm not even looking for a job. I just think it's really valuable. I do. I truly do. It's, it's very quick. It's concise. Uh, it's creative. And I think that knowing 
what is happening in the job market is valuable, even if you're not looking for a job. So go to crash.co forward slash daily and sign up for the daily job hunt. Let's get into the show. Welcome everybody to a special episode of Liberty Lockdown. I am thrilled and honored today to have the great Judge Andrew Napolitano, the, the former host of one of the greatest shows I have ever seen on cable news, and I am devastated that it no longer exists, the host of Freedom Watch. Thank you for joining me, Judge. Oh, good. Well, you, well, first of all, thank you for having me. You, you do great work in defending human freedom, but you give me goosebumps by mentioning Freedom Watch. Thank you. It was, it was the highlight of my, uh, of my career, and uh, it, was, it was a great, great experience. Thank you. Well, absolutely. I, I'm telling you, man, uh, when that I, I, I hate to, to put it in this company because I'm such a huge fan of Ron Paul, but for me, it was honestly that big of a deal to have someone who, who saw the Constitution and saw human liberty in a way that I did on you know mainstream news doing a nightly breakdown of how tyrannical everything was getting was just like, it was, it was thrilling to watch. So thank oh, you for thank your you. service. Thank you. It was actually <laughs> a lot of uh, Republicans in DC who lobbied to get rid of it because I was keeping their feet to the fire. Republicans. Wow, that, that, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> the, the primary question that I'd like to talk to you about is, uh, it seems as if the, the tyranny of the past two years has been so rapid that the judiciary can't keep up, even if it were, even if it wanted to, it seems as if it can't. So I'm, I'm curious what your opinion is, if the judicial branch can effectively and quickly enough address what, what has been attempted to have been done to us over the past two years. Well, I wish I could um, understand what the judiciary has done well enough to explain it. I mean, notwithstanding my vast experience in this world, uh, for the Supreme Court to uh, knock down uh, Joe Biden's, thankfully, uh, order to all employers of 100 or more people to assure that their employees have been vaccinated, but to uphold a similar order uh, to healthcare facilities that receive federal funds, which is just about every healthcare facility in the country, because uh, Justice uh, Kavanaugh, against whose confirmation I argued with the president himself at the time, for reasons I can get into if you want, because wow. Justice Kavanaugh changed his mind, simply changed his mind and voted against Biden on one and for him on the other, almost as if he were a senator instead of a Justice of the Supreme Court trying to have it both ways because he was worried about what his constituents would say. And of course, Supreme Court justices have no constituents right. uh, other than the Constitution. I, I can't put my finger on it. My biggest beef, and I suspect yours, my biggest shock is not what the government did. Government always uses fear to aggrandize power. But the sheepish manner in which the American public accepted this is what has caused me the most grief uh, and the most head scratching. I'll give you an example. I was talking to five state troopers. I live in an area of New Jersey where there's no farm area. There's no local police. So the state police do everything. And a lot of them are friends of mine. The uh, headquarters is not far from here. And I said, don't you guys remember the police academy, day one, rule one. It is unlawful 
to enforce or obey an unlawful order. They all said, yes, we do remember it. <laughs> Why are you closing churches and threatening people if there's more than 15 in a gathering? This is when Governor Murphy in New Jersey was really crazy and he banned more than 15 people from getting together for any reason. I don't know where the number came from. And they looked at me and said, well, nobody wants to be the first one to lose their gun and badge. I said, well, you guys would have been great in the time of the American Revolution. We'd all be speaking with an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's so true. And but it's not just the enforcement arm of the state. It's the people, too. You know, the people yes. went, went along with this in a way that that really stunned me. Um, because of you... fear. Because the yeah. government peddled fear. Uh, yeah. People were afraid that the government might be right and we'd all get sick. We now know the government was wrong. The vaccine is not a vaccine. It just is some sort of a chemical experiment that in some people lessens the severity of this. It doesn't prevent you from getting it. It doesn't prevent you from transmitting it. And in some people, it kills them. And for the government to punish people because they refuse to accept an experimental a chemical cocktail in their arms is a violation of the Nuremberg Protocols, which is a treaty that the United States entered so that the American government could never do to us what Hitler did to his people, and yet they did. You can't make this up. You're you're making me feel more sane. I had a feeling you would see this the same way I did, and I'm thrilled to be uh, proven correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and I, I guess I'll pivot here to asking: Do you think that the American people are waking up to an extent that we can see a Nuremberg trials 2.0? Because I don't think they are. I don't know if we're going to see Nuremberg trials, but I do believe that the American people look back on the past two years and a lot of them who caved are ashamed of it and will never cave again. And I do believe that these cops and they're wonderful, wonderful human beings that, that I spoke with mm -hmm. would not react the same way if God forbid the same uh, tyranny were to be uh, visited upon us. And part of it, and get back to your earlier question, Clint, part of it is the people. I mean, I, I live in, what is arguably the most liberal democratic state in the union. If, if there's one that's worse, it's California. Uh, and Phil Murphy, the governor was reelected just by the skin of his teeth, just by the skin of his teeth. Uh, and it was so close that it may have uh, destroyed his presidential aspirations. And, and the only reason it was close is because Democrats had had enough and True. they voted for a moderate Republican. Yeah. And as soon as he was re-inaugurated in January, the democratically controlled legislature took his emergency powers away from him. Why? Because they want to get reelected. Mm -hmm. So ultimately when the people make noise and when the people uh, engage in civil disobedience in a lawful way, system should work. Yeah. Well, it, it I think it is kind of in the sense that, you know, they are they are lifting mandates and things of that nature. Um it's just man, two two years is a long time to to suffer, especially when your economy is hanging by a thread and to have everyone kind of acquiesce to the fear mongering and accept this. I was really caught off guard. But anyways, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about why why you lobbied uh, against Kavanaugh obviously we now 
see probably what you saw in that he is not a defender of human liberty. But uh, why why did you do it uh, up front? Because of this. Mm. When he was on the circuit, I'm holding up my uh, mobile phone. When he was on the circuit uh, court of appeals uh, in D.C., the the court right below the Supreme Court, uh, he authored an opinion that the feds do not need a warrant to get in there. What are you Mm. kidding? What's in there? Everything. Personal, (laughs) financial, medical, legal, intimate. Everything is in there. Truly. And when I actually, I guess I'm violating a confidence said to him, President Trump, you know, this is the same mentality that went after you. Right. Well, you know, you got to balance things and he's great on a lot of other issues. And yeah, but there are some things that to me are enough to outweigh everything. But I mean, that that was essentially the reason. I don't care what the hell he did in high school. I don't believe that stuff. And even if did, he was 15 years old at the time. Come on. Right. Uh, but but what he did a year before he was nominated in authoring that opinion, that that's I care about. No, that's a big deal for sure. And and what we saw with uh, recently with him basically voting in favor of the uh, the Navy SEALs vaccine mandate um, and just the military mandate. I mean, this guy is yeah, he's he, not he, 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 he doesn't a, believe in he, he, is a, he is a George W. Bush uh, country club big government Republican. Uh, what so a have? Democrat. Neil Gorsuch, on the other hand, has a has a deep libertarian strain in him, Clint. Some of his opinions have been fabulous. Some of his dissents have been fabulous. Um, but uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, forget about it. But look, there's nothing we can do about that. In, in one respect, Katanji Brown-Jackson is more desirable than Brett Kavanaugh because she believes you need a warrant to get in here. <laughs> she believes in civil liberties uh, and in privacy in ways that those Republican uh, appointees, except for a Gorsuch, would never go along with. Well, it, There's a lot of libertarians that are cheering her, particularly after last week where the Republicans looked like fools and she looked like a libertarian. She looked like James Madison defending the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, coincidentally, I'm going to be having on Roger Stone tomorrow. And you talked about, uh, you know, what they did to Trump. And and obviously, Roger Stone was kind of caught up in that process. Uh, are you are you as surprised as I am that they were willing to it? Well, this is my description. I won't put words in your mouth, but it seemed to me as if it was essentially a soft coup against a sitting president. And it began prior to his election. Even is that a fair assessment or what do you think? Well, I, I fully agree. I don't know if you remember the brouhaha I was involved in, in March of 17, when I revealed from sources that the Obama administration had used the GCHQ, that's the British domestic spies, not Mm. not international spies, uh, to spy on candidate Trump. And all hell broke loose. And then eventually five GCHQ agents, Fox took me off air, five GCHQ agents went to The Guardian in London and said that judge in New York is correct. (laughs) We We did do this as a favor Uh, to the people in the Obama administration. So I agree with that. But I got to tell you a Roger Stone story. Now, I love Roger Stone, and he and I have been friends since before you were born. (laughs) 
So Stone has a lot of unique sartorial habits. Wherever he goes, he's the best dressed person, <laughs> except for his socks. He hates, <laughs> he hates wearing socks. He shows up at the White House to visit President Reagan. It's February out. Nancy comes out into the outer room and says, oh, Roger, we were talking about you at breakfast. The president can't wait to see you, but you can't go in there in the middle of winter without socks on. He's going to notice that immediately. <laughs> what, what do you want to do? I mean, I have a pair of his socks that I can give you. <laughs> you can't make this up. And Roger, without skipping a beat, said, oh, remind him that I took a public vow Never to wear socks until the <laughs> Russians are kicked out of Afghanistan. <laughs> the president comes out and hugs and kisses Roger. <laughs> oh man, what a what a legend! Now, oh, even, I'm, I'm even very, if I'm very... that even if that is not true, even if he's got some crazy peculiarity that he doesn't like to wear socks in the wintertime. It is such a gifted and brilliant and instantaneous response. <laughs> Mike Lindell, you know who that is, heard yeah. this story about Stone and the socks. So Mike says, I will pay you, fill in the blank, to come on Lindell TV barefoot and put on my slippers. <laughs> because now in addition to making pillows, he makes slippers. They paid Stone a fortune to come on barefoot and put the slippers on his feet. <laughs> hey, hey, you got you to gotta find ways to make money when you've been blacklisted uh, and, like Roger and, has. And, and you have to have a sense of humor. I mean, five minutes ago, we were talking about tyranny in America. Now we're laughing like hell. You have to have a sense of humor. Otherwise, of you'll die. Yeah, I'd, I'd go crazy had I not kept some level of humor about all this. It And in, in hindsight... I mean, if it weren't happening to us, it would kind of be funny. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Uh, but anyways, I, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the constitutional process for peaceful secession, because it seems to me that as this kind of, you know, the barn door has been left open, the, the horses are out of it. A lot of libertarians are are now coalescing into more freedom oriented states, be it New Hampshire, Florida, et cetera. And. And it seems as if the federal government, instead of recognizing kind of the Lucidity's trap that they're in with China and withdrawing from the world stage in terms of policing everything, is is now threatening uh, World War III. And and I think that peaceful secession is probably the best outcome that we could hope for, even though it will automatically you know label me a radical. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what, what process would be necessary and is there any hope of that in our lifetime? All right. Let me start by saying, I agree with you on what the feds are threatening. Now on my podcast, I recently had the great Colonel Doug McGregor, oh, he's a West Point terrific. graduate career military. You know him. He, he understands military, understands peace. He understands the constitution. I also had the great Phil Giraldi, former CIA who quit when Bush uh, was lying about whether or not uh, Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. The two of them on two different podcasts both said the same thing. They both said the the nationalists in the State Department want this war because they want regime change in Moscow. I thought, okay, that's interesting. Two weeks later, it comes out of the president's mouth. Yeah. And I'm thinking, 
these guys, Giraldi and uh, McGregor, are correct. The president shouldn't have said it, but that's probably what he and his cabal were talking about. So short little background there. I think you're right on that. Now, secession, a little more complex. It is often preceded by nullification. Nullification is happening as we speak. True. For the first time since 1830, the Supreme Court in December, just two months ago, this time Justice Kavanaugh was on our side, permitted nullification. So the law of the land on abortion is Roe versus Wade, which says the states cannot interfere in the first trimester of pregnancy. Texas enacts a statute that says baloney. We're banning abortion as soon as there's a fetal heartbeat, about five or six weeks, as opposed to 23 or 24 weeks. The mm-hmm. Supreme Court refuses to interfere. The Supreme Court of the United States is permitting the legislature of the state of Texas to nullify a 50-year-old, long-standing, much relied on, because abortion is the most frequent medical procedure performed in the United States today, wow, uh, I didn't know that. federal law. So that is a step in the right direction. In terms of secession, I would encourage all of our libertarian friends to read the um, Kentucky and Virginia resolutions. Kentucky was written by James Madison, who wrote the Constitution. The Virginia was written by by Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence. It is clear beyond dispute that the framers believed that as the act of joining the union was voluntary, the act of leaving it is voluntary as well. Now, the Supreme Court, in a case called Texas against White, ruled that the union is inseparable and uh, can't be broken up unless three quarters of the states agree. The judge just pulled that out of his hat. It wasn't even relevant to the issue before them, but that's the last time the court looked at it. I think that when the federal government borrows so much money and has so much debt that no one will lend it money anymore uh, and it can't pay its police, that's the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, there are 8,000 FBI agents, there are 60,000 Homeland Security cops. Most people don't even know about this, don't even know what they look like or where they are. There are 60,000. Anyway, when people like that can't collect paychecks and the federal government loses its ability to enforce its will on us, it will collapse like the Soviet Union did. Now, unfortunately, where I am, the Northeast, that'll become the People's Republic of the Atlantic Seaboard. I would think Arizona or Montana or New Hampshire or Texas would be a better place to be when the the federal government breaks up. Yeah. Well, I just fled California for Florida uh, about six months ago. So I'm I'm seeing the writing on the wall. Obviously, I don't think it's completely imminent, but I do think that we will see it in in our lifetimes. And I didn't think that when I was growing up. It should start, Clint, with a with a soft secession you know non not we're not going to pay our income taxes not we don't recognize federal courts uh not we have our own weapons so stay away from us but but something uh soft like uh, daylight savings time (laughs) um 
or abortion uh, or guns, you know, or federal vaccine mandates, federal vaccine mandate, uh, things like that. Power yeah. must begin to flow from Washington back to the states. They have taken so much liberty from the states uh, by force and by bribery. You know, um, in 1986, the feds decided that 65 miles an hour was too fast. The feds decided. And then their lawyers in Congress told them, well, you don't have the authority to regulate speed limits. Well, watch this. So they offered every state in the union hundreds of millions of dollars to repave the federal highways in those states as long as the speed limit on all highways, not just federal, was reduced to 55. South Dakota said, forget about it. We'll take the money. We don't even have speed limits. Case went all the way to the Supreme Court. It's called South Dakota versus Dole. Written by Chief Justice Rehnquist, a conservative, said, you want the money, you take the strings. Oh, wow. Now, what left-wing pinko president signed that into law? Ronald Reagan. <laughs> so, so the federal government will use its heavy uh, borrowing and cash printing ability to sap governmental uh, independence from the states and personal liberty from individuals at every opportunity it can. That's why I said the key uh, to secession uh, is their inability to pay their bills. Right. And and it seems as if that process is being expedited by the, the sanctions, uh, which is essentially economic warfare against Russia, but it's, it's punishing the American people. And moreover, it's punishing the dollar's reserve currency status on a global stage. You have many, many nations that are beginning to trade uh, for Russian oil and gas in local currencies as opposed to the dollar. And that has been the underpinning to, to our financial security my entire life and probably yours. Um, so do you think that that process is uh, inevitable, that, that we lose the reserve currency status and that, and that the U.S. government goes bankrupt? Because at, in my opinion, uh, I, have lost, I have lost faith in the, you know, the legislative process and the executive branch, all of it. I've just basically lost faith in all of it. And I think that you're right, that ultimately economic collapse and the dollar's demise is the only way that we end up breaking apart. So is there, is there any hope for reform realistically? I don't think so. I mean, un- unless somehow we could elect, uh, you know, a Senate filled with uh, Thomas Massey's or a House <laughs> of Representatives filled with Thomas Massey's, and somebody in the White House uh, with that attitude, I just don't think it's going to happen. You know, without um, term limits, people like Chuck Schumer are just so entrenched, so um, uh, dizzied with their own uh, power, and they and they stay in power. And I don't mean to pick on him; he's just one of hundreds. It's <laughs> uh, actually a nice guy. Terrible. We got we got stuck next to each other in a. Uh, uh, in a flight once. So we had a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Um, anyway, it's another story for another time. Um, I, I don't see any of that changing. There is very little. Massey is an example. There is very little independence uh, in the Congress. The Democrats mm-hmm. vote the way. Listen, AOC and her her clique, they have more independence. than they, I don't agree with them, but they show independence. 
All yeah. the other Democrats vote the way Mrs. Pelosi wants. The Republicans vote the way uh, McCarthy tells them. And the same thing with Schumer and uh, and McConnell in the Senate. There's no independent thinking. I'll tell you a story. The first time I met Ron Paul, well, the second time I met him, he invited me to his office. I found the office. I said, Ron, this is a glorified broom closet. What the hell kind of an office is this? <laughs> said, I've been in the Congress for 20 years. This is what happens when you defy leadership. This oh, is wow. the worst office in the House of Representatives, and it is a former storage room, not a broom closet. But this is where they put me because they think by punishing me in here, somehow they're going to get me to vote for them. You know what I do? I take pictures of this office and let everybody see what it looks like. <laughs> what, what do you think it is that, that gave uh, Ron that kind of resolve? Uh, you know, because it's obvious that so few people had the capacity to withstand the pressure once you get to that office. Because I'm sure there's many true believers that that run and get elected, but it seems 99.9% of people cave Thomas Massey and Ron Paul being the, the rare exceptions. Well, they both believe in first principles and they know that the principles that they believe in will uh, lead to human freedom. And I don't think they could look their faces in the mirror in the morning uh, mm -hmm. if they caved. Uh, I, I would put my life in the hands of, uh, and my wealth, uh, what little of it is left in, in, in the hands of, uh, of both of them. They are the personification uh, of greatness and, and uh, Thomas Massey is the rightful heir uh, to Ron Paul. And Ron still does great work. I mean, if you follow the Ron Paul uh, Institute, um, he is still the gold standard uh, of libertarian thinking in the country. Absolutely. Uh, but you're right. I mean, Thomas Massey has, hey, you would have expected it to be Rand, but I, I mean, I know you're making the comparison because they're both congressmen and Rand's a senator. But uh, honestly, I see more of uh, of Ron in Thomas Massey than I do Rand even. And I'm a fan of Rand Paul too. Uh, do you think that there is a, an opportunity for us to get more federal level candidates uh, that are in the same camp of a Thomas Massey or Ron yes. Paul? Or, yes, I or do. should we or should we focus our resources on the state level? Well, I think there are pockets in the United States, and I, I can't really put my finger on them now. Pardon me, uh, where you know Thomas Massey is unique because he has such a a charming, a bubbly, um, addictive personality. And and Iran has the same. But I, I do believe that that message of human freedom actually will play a little better now than when Ron started out, because we all saw the fruitless, miserable two years we have just completed under the government's thumb. Yeah, absolutely. Are you familiar with Dave Smith? Yes. yes. Okay. Well, he's he's my guy. And uh, and I, I really well, now, which putting... Dave Smith, Dave Smith, the comedian. Yeah. Yes. Well, Dave used to be a regular uh, on, a, on my shows on Fox. I love Dave. Now, you say, you say he's your guy. Is he running for office? I think he might. I think yeah. he might. I think he's going to be the Libertarian Party presidential candidate. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So uh, that, that for me is, you know, obviously I don't expect him to win, but I think that if he were to get the nomination, he has the capacity to message in a way 
to the young people in particular, which is what we need is kind of a, a Ron Paul revolution 2.0. I think that there's a real opportunity for given what we've experienced, the tyranny of the past two years to have truly a Ron Paul revolution 2.0. And Dave Smith, in my opinion, is the guy to do that. I don't know if I'm overstepping my, my grounds to even say it, but uh, what do you think about him? Well, I love him because he um, he can convey these messages that you and I have been talking about with tremendous humor. Yes. And in a way that uh, uh, young people uh, can respond to and, and uh, understand. And, and youth is um, you know, youth is the target. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're not going to win the, the election, you might as well reach the youth. I mean, the, the fact that Ron, regardless of his age, he had all these college level kids that were chanting end the fed i mean that i never thought i'd see that in my lifetime so the fact that that happens like i'm not going to write off any possibilities and i feel like uh you know end the war in yemen could be something that, that, that the dave smith campaign could get uh college kids chanting and i'm very i'm i'm hopeful from the grassroots level i see a lot of um a, a reawakening of the ron paul revolution that had kind of lied dormant for the past decade uh but I, you know, as I've said, I really don't think that that reforming the federal level is likely to happen. Anyways, I've I've utilized my time with you, uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Please tell people where they can follow you. And let me just before you give your plugs, let me say bucket list item. Thrill of my life to have a conversation with you, sir. So oh, thank my you so goodness. much for your time. You're, you're, you're so kind and you're making me blush. So <laughs> my a podcast is Judging Freedom. Uh, and I do about three or four a day. Sometimes conversations like you and I are having, maybe you'll come on with me. I do a lot of solos where I just sit in front of the screen and explain, here's what the Supreme Court just did. Here's what some crazy federal judge has just ruled. Uh, And I explain it so that everybody uh, can understand it. If you want everything that I do, you can go to judgenap.com, like and subscribe. The more subscribers I have, the easier it is for me to reach people. Judging freedom is everywhere. The best place to get it is on YouTube, but you can get it on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, everywhere. Yep, absolutely. And it's a tremendous show. Uh, he is, he, I can't, I, if you haven't been following Andrew Napolitano, you, you have been making a huge mistake. This guy has been fighting for human liberty my entire life and has inspired me in my path to be doing what I'm doing. So uh, make sure you guys go over there and support him. Anyways, thank you again, Judge Napolitano. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Clint. We'll do it again, my friend. Well, how cool was that? Judge Napolitano, as based as we would all remember, and I'm not at all surprised that he sees things similarly to how I do, and I know most of my audience does. It's uh, it's a little concerning that he sees things <laughs> as being as dire as, as we do, but uh, it was still just such a, such a great honor to get to ask him some questions and get to dive deep on the uh, constitutional concept of peaceful secession and how we might be able to make that happen. I think that he laid some great ideas out there on how we can begin that process. So uh, next up I have on Han and Mike who have both been canceled uh, from their respective industries for different reasons, but essentially standing up for themselves. One for speaking out and having kind of anarcho-capitalist views and then the other for believing on bodily autonomy. And the, the latter half, we actually talk, we get into a religious discussion and ha- he gives a really beautiful story about how, you know, kind of finding God in this moment saved him. And I didn't expect it, but I think that for those that 
wish I would talk about religion more often. You will find a lot of value in this one. And for those that are in a position uh, with their, their company, their job, where they might also be facing this future, I think that this will be a good preview for you guys to, to really consider the entrepreneurial path because it seems as if they are going to continue to push down this path. And these stories very, very much concern me. And, uh, you know, I feel like their liberty is being locked down. So I figured I'd invite them on and let them tell you for themselves exactly what is happening to them. So uh, also want to give one quick plug to SideShaper. Go to SideShaper.com. If you use the code Liberty at checkout, you will get $50 off. It is a great little machine. Doesn't cost a ton of money. Gives me the, the gnarliest ab workouts I've ever had in my life. Go to SideShaper.com. You can watch a video about it. And if you use the code Liberty at checkout, you will get $50 off your order. Let's get into the rest of the show. Welcome, everybody, to a live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. Tonight, I have on Han, who uh, has a handmade service of some sort. I, I don't know much of the details, so I'm going to let you I'm gonna let you tell everybody about it. But uh, cancel culture is is pervasive, and it seems to have been striking you as of late. So I wanted to, you know... Your liberty to sell your goods is being locked down. So where else are you going to come talk about it other than Liberty Lockdown? So thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I've been uh, doing handmade stuff of various kinds for years, to be honest. Uh, after the like, all the COVID shutdowns hit in 2020, I lost my jobs because I was a bartender. God, my lighting is horrible right now. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bartender. That's a little better. I was a bartender at a movie theater. So I kind of got a double whammy and my work was furloughed pretty much immediately at the start of 2020. So I started relying on handmade sales again. And at the time I was doing bags, purses, et cetera. And I shifted to epoxy work, started doing just whatever, honestly, to make money. I started doing t-shirts. I started doing ashtrays and rolling trays, just whatever, essentially whatever the free market wanted. You know, I kind of just sure. let, let them decide. And uh, because I had such a Twitter following, I did do a lot of my products more Liberty related, but it was nothing really extreme. You know, it was like a Gadsden flag ashtrays or um, anti-pedophilia shirts, you know, nothing really absurd. But it wasn't too long after I started that uh, I started getting shut down from from Etsy and Instagram. And it's been getting worse ever since. Was it, uh, did I read that you're, you have fellow creators that are kind of hunting you? Is that correct? I wouldn't say it's fellow creators that are hunting. It's yes and no, to be honest. It's kind of a mix of progressive culture, you know, mob mentality that just don't want people like me in their clicks where they're selling stuff. But a big problem is that simply the people who run places like Etsy or even eBay that I recently found out because I just got kicked from them as well recently. Wow. Yeah, no, it seems like there is some kind of blacklist going on. And the reason why I think that is, uh, well, for free reasons, one of them being which when I was first kicked from Etsy, it was a totally different shop and I only had it up for maybe three weeks. I was removed from them and Instagram for the same products at the same time, literally woke up to messages from both of them and their messages to me for why they were kicking me were nearly identical. Hmm. Well, uh, if you'd like to take a pause, do you have blinds that you could lower? No. <laughs> oh, okay. I do not. I'm sorry. All right. 
All right, because I'm sure the audience wouldn't mind if <laughs> I don't want you to have to keep your hand up the whole episode. I'm okay. I'm all right. As long as, long as you're all right, that's fine. Um, so what was the the message that you received? Was it a terms of service violation? Was it the product itself? What what exactly did they say? It was the products themselves. And uh, so when I got this message, it was in the middle of the Black Lives Matter, Antifa, et cetera, protests. I'm sorry, I just got a phone call. Um, and um, they... They still allowed Antifa products, of course. They still allowed Black Lives Matter products on the websites, but they flat out told me that a few of my products were violating, well, not really violating the terms of service. They were, and I quote, inciting violence. And the hmm. tags that I used, which are simply things like libertarian, voluntarism, agorism, et cetera, they said those tags gave them concerns that I was a potential domestic terrorist. No way. No, I'm dead serious. Both Instagram and uh, Etsy both said that. One of the items they shut down was a t-shirt, my own design. It just had a rabbit, just a little rabbit with crosshairs and a couple of rifles crossed in the back. And it just said, hippity hoppity, get off my property. <laughs> That's it. harmless. Totally harmless. I, so, I, I love it. So Right. Uh, yeah. It was literally just stuff like that. So I'm like, what the shit, you know? And uh, so I kind of waited a little bit and I rebranded. I came up with a whole new logo, new name, everything. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can sell products that aren't Liberty related and kind of, you know, put some Liberty stuff in there to sort of dilute the products a little bit. Maybe I got to be more careful with the tags I use. Maybe that'll help. And so I started a new shop and I had my flat, my shop was flagged almost immediately. I put up a, one product. It was a pint glass and it just said buds, booze, and um, bullets, right? Now, Etsy does have a lot of 2A stuff. In fact, the, the F SVGs that I would get for the gun-related items I got from Etsy. So I'm thinking there's no problem. Etsy allows marijuana products. Etsy allows alcohol products. All of that is allowed. So I'm thinking there's no problem, right? Immediately, I got a message that my product was under review and my shop was at risk of getting shut down again. Did you use an IP address? Did uh, Were they able to track that it was you creating another account? Because that could be an issue. Prob I mean, probably, honestly, okay. but I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm When it comes to technology, I'm a step above Joe Biden. I don't know how to change my IP address. <laughs> I can open the PDF. I'm just going to complain the whole time. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know Jack. So if you use, if you use uh, promo code Clint at IP Vanish, you can get 70% off for your first year. So oh, something okay. to consider <laughs> well, that's uh, good to that, know. That, that could, that could help with, um, you know, them not being able to track as you create new accounts. But ultimately, if you set up payment information so that you can receive your funds, they're going to be able to figure out it's you. You would have to use someone else's entire existence really to work right. around it. Um, right. But but they could just be hitting you with the IP address and saying, oh, well, we've already nuked one of her accounts. So here comes another one. Oh, it's along the same lines. We're going to get it get it gone. So that's, right. that's kind of my my guess as to what happened. But it's uh, it's disappointing. I, it's it's fascinating though that that you said that they they have a ton of two way stuff, um and and weed stuff all all sorts of things and and yet they went after you so you think it's strictly the ha the uh, the hashtags you were using it wasn't like the the guns themselves because that that I would have suspected it would have just been the guns like that's but I guess it's not no I mean there are lots of two in fact I've purchased many gun related things from Etsy everything from 
um, concealed carry purse patterns to um, the, just the images of guns that I use to cut out and put on t-shirts and everything. And there's, you know, they're all fine. They don't get flagged. Um, I re but I've had items shut down that had no gun-related items, but were libertarian-associated that got shut down. I've had Gadsden flag ashtrays flagged and removed, most recently on eBay. I started, an e I had plenty of people tell me, oh, give eBay a shot, and I have experience in eBay. Funny enough, my parents actually met on eBay. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, That's a first. <laughs> right? And um, so I've heard all throughout the past, like, you know, 20 years, about the uh ways that ebay keeps screwing sellers so I'm, I'm like what am i gonna do you know my options are limited so i create an ebay site i put up 12 ashtrays and a handmade purse but as soon as i put up that gadsden flag ashtray my account was suspended after four days well well <laughs> um for the the viewers that don't know you're probably already privy but the uh the biden administration on day day one of his presidency issued a domestic terrorism like memorandum of some sort that that listed uh you know three percenters and libertarians and you know gadsden flag was the type of stuff that they were targeting so uh, this is a problem that's extremely pervasive and it's and it goes far deeper than you know strictly the handmade seller's market like this is oh absolutely they're basically you know viewing any of us as potential domestic terrorists which is astonishing since i think that the spirit with which you know, libertarians, anarchists, all of us speak is is really fundamentally what this country was founded upon, which is like, don't tread on me, leave me the fuck alone, individual rights, um, self-defense, like, so it's American. Uh, so it's it's incredible that that, you know, being an American, like a proud American really, is is now terrorism. <laughs> oh, I know. I've had to be very careful. My, my current Etsy shop has been flagged a couple of times, but I've been trying to be more careful about what I put on there. That's why when people ask me, like, why don't you put up links to your shirts? Well, I'm not going to lie. My shirts are a little more aggressive, I'll say, not violent. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm like, I'm wearing one right now. It's the, the anti-pedophile shirt, you know, it's got mm -hmm. a wood chipper on it. And it seems like, oh, well, it's anti-pedophile. That's not so bad. Okay. But it, insights violence so i don't want to take the risk of putting it on there so i've been extra careful but um then ebay no i got another email from ebay just last night and they gave me a, a non-answer saying that i'm permanently suspended if i try to create another ebay account i will be banned again and their reasoning I i'll pull it up right now i have a screenshot i will pull it up right now and read it yeah that'd be great it says we wanted to let you know that your eBay account has been permanently suspended because of activity we believe was putting the eBay community at risk. We understand that this must be frustrating, but this decision was not made lightly, and it's important that we keep our marketplace safe for everyone. That's all they gave me, and then just told me that if I try again, they're going to ban me. That's it. How, how is it that that these products would put the eBay community at risk? I, I can't <laughs> right? even... I can't like seriously, even if I try and put myself in like a woke person's head, I don't understand how that can be a claim. Message. They don't want the message to be spread. They don't want people to, you know, because that's the whole thing, especially with leftists. They take everything as a, as a threat. I mean, you can't even do this without. Right. Oh, my God. You know, it's True. literally any sort of symbolism they consider a threat, any sort of wrong message. any. that's why they get behind words so much we can't say women with you can't spell it just women we got to put the x in there somewhere you know that's that is their mentality so they see a gadsden flag they see 
you know, an anarchy symbol that's not associated with an anarcho-communism, if it's anarcho-capitalism or agorism, et cetera, that's a threat. Anything that threatens the way they think is terrorism, yeah. apparently. <laughs> so so you've seen anarcho-communism stuff that, that is oh, still... Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yes. Lots of it. Oh, yes. Wow. And ironically, Oh, yeah. And this was also after, if you remember, Trump labeled Antifa as terror as terrorists hmm. back in 2019 or 2020 the believe 2020 and oh, they're still up etsy's fine with that hmm. well i i don't know what the solution is other than to you know sell peer-to-peer -peer, maybe have cryptocurrency be the way in which you can get paid is have you considered that i know you said that you're you're about as technologically advanced as joe biden so it could be a challenge but uh, that seems to be a workaround. It, it certainly wouldn't be efficient, and you probably couldn't sell very many because not not everybody, you know, has cryptocurrency, much less knows how to transact with it. Um, so, is it just a matter of like creating another platform for which people like you could sell fringe products? I honestly feel like that is definitely a step in the right direction. I feel like a big problem with what's going on is that a lot of libertarians are kind of allowing themselves to be canceled. They're afraid of backlash from their peers. They're afraid of dirty looks at work or whatever it may be. And I'm sorry, we need to stop doing that because what's more uncomfortable, you know, some eyes getting rolled and maybe some name calling or no money to feed your family in a time of inflation right. and food shortages. Like which, which is worse? No, this so, is, if you've ever heard my show, this has been my rallying cry to everybody. It's like, look, I know it's hard to speak out now. It's only going to get harder. Like, mm -hmm. what are you, what are you waiting for? Like exactly. rise the fuck up right now, because otherwise this, this cancel culture mob type mentality paired with ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance. Like they are pressuring from the financial backers side They're They are pressuring these companies like eBay, PayPal, all these, all these, um, you know, publicly traded companies, they are pressuring them to implement basically wokeism within their business model. So like, even if you don't have employees, which many of these companies do, if you, if you, even if you don't have these employees who are super woke and want, you know, anybody that's liberty minded uh, to be canceled entirely, many times the CEOs will still do it because Larry Fink and BlackRock have withdrawn funding if you're unwilling to go along with the program. So this this entire system is like it's basically doomed like the the existing establishment business system is doomed and i don't think many libertarians are aware of it yet um unfortunately because like if we aren't aware of it you know the normies don't know a fucking thing about this stuff <laughs> oh absolutely i really feel like just one of the best solutions we could do right now is to we need to just kind of create our own platform I know some places have suggested Gab to me, for instance, saying like, well, they have a marketplace. Well, they do. And I've looked into it, but you have to pay $100 a year for Gab Pro in order to be able to use it. And when there's next to no traffic, that's a huge gamble for someone like me who's just a small business. So um, I, I don't know. I feel like there needs to be something. There needs to be some pushback. You know, people are too afraid to step up and just live their lives. And so we kind of, you know, it's like in Futurama. I always I always quote this because I feel this in the depths of my soul. It's like that scene where Bender gets kicked out of the theme park and he's like, well, I'm going to make my own theme park with blackjack and hookers. Like, that's kind of <laughs> what we need. That's the energy we need to have right now, honestly. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, do, you, do you know anybody that's working on uh, kind of a fringe marketplace that we could actually migrate to? 
Not just yet. Um, there's kind of some small stuff going around. I personally, I know a lot of people don't use Facebook. I've been on Facebook for a long time, just you know, since I was 17. So I have a lot of connections on there, including a lot of anarchists of, you know, mainly of the libertarian side. And um, I used to get most of my sales through there actually when I was doing handmade and there are, there are these like groups where they'll allow like 30 or so different handmade businesses to sell their stuff like for a weekend, every two weeks. I used to make pretty good money in those. And now I'm getting uh, shunned from a lot of those too, because they're usually ran by progressives. <laughs> so, oh, but, oh yeah, no, because that's, that's the thing. It's not just these CEOs of these companies that are doing this. Right. They're, they're doing this because they have enough support from sellers to do this, which is so ironic to me because it's biting everyone in the ass yeah. and I'm not the only one with issues with Etsy and eBay, et cetera. It's, of it's they, they're getting more and more greedy. Their transaction fees are skyrocketing they, they keep screwing over sellers in various ways. And the progressives, you know, who also sell on there, they don't like it either, but <laughs> they're allowing it to happen because they're going, Oh, well, they're doing it because the law says so. Right. When are you going to draw the line? Like, yeah. when are you, how do you not see this affecting all of us negatively? Wait, so, how, I mean, how does, how does the law say so? Okay. So, um, a lot of sites and I've been experiencing this, this firsthand as well as I've been trying to find other outlets to sell on, they are basically just making it more difficult for just little mom and pop sellers to make money without fully registering with the IRS and getting all these permits and reporting all of your income, no matter how much you make. Um, in Arizona, where I'm from, they have the cottage laws and the cottage laws, you don't have to report anything to the state unless you make, I believe it's over $500 a month. If you make less yeah. than that, you don't have to report anything to anybody. You don't have to register your business, nothing. But the government as a whole, they're putting, they're making that more and more difficult to get by. And so all these websites are afraid of getting into legal trouble. And so they're putting all these extra restrictions on everything. I've been reading blogs talking about you can sell here, you can sell there that were written just last year. And so I click on these different sites and half of them are shut down and they flat out say, we can't keep up with the new government regulations and people don't have the incentive to sell anymore because they don't want to deal with the government regulations either. Right. So they're like, screw it. It's not worth it. They decide not to sell. And now these sites have no one selling on their websites. Well, it's hard for the conspiracy brain of mine not to go the route of like they want us to be dependent on them if you're an independent creator who's yeah. you know doing some sort of you know say you're selling a thousand bucks worth of stuff as a side hustle like to to have to go through all sorts of hoops to try and uh, be on these sites not to mention the burden that it puts on the sites themselves uh it seems almost intentional that they're that they're trying to make it so that you have to be with a big corporation. And if you're with that corporation, well, then guess what? All of the ESG metrics come into play. And and, you know, it it just feels like a panopticon. Like it just feels like they they are finding every single way to eliminate the little guy. And it's driving me fucking crazy. All right. So can I. Do you say conspiracy? Can I get a little tinfoil hat here for a second? Please. I love it. <laughs> All right. So no, I I completely agree with you, to be honest. And I feel like a big part of this does also have to do with the whole great reset. You will own nothing and you will be happy because quite frankly, if there's less incentive to make and sell things, you're not going to make any money. So then there's less incentive to learn how to make things. And when you mm -hmm. don't, and especially now with inflation, the cost of 
supplies are skyrocketing. Look at the cost of wood. Look at, you know, two by fours are, God, I, I don't even, yeah. insanely expensive now. I, I'm building six thing. houses and my, and my lumber budget went up like almost a half a million dollars. It's fucking insane. Yeah. 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 And that's not the only thing. I mean, my epoxy prices have increased my shirts, like everything I do, it's all gotten more expensive. So it's getting more expensive to be self-sufficient. You can't just be like, well, screw it. I'm going to watch YouTube tutorial. I'm going to make this myself anymore because now the cost of materials, it's not going to save you really a whole lot of money, especially when you have to put time and investment to learn how to do this. And for a lot of people, they don't want to learn how to do a skill set, how to make things unless they can flip it and make money on the side from it. And that's getting more and more difficult to do. So yeah, I do feel like this is a push to prevent us from learning how to be more self-sustainable because when we are making our own products or we're making products to barter and keep under the table, we own those products. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, and get, I mean, we know this get- government doesn't want that. Yeah, and you get the lion's share of the income, which when you're working for somebody else, you don't. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as as an entrepreneur myself, it's just devastating to see that that smaller creators that you know you could potentially grow into being a real legitimate company that's making serious income, and and I think that's really the American dream. If you get back down to it, is like that's that was the idea. Like we're going to from our own bootstraps, from our own hands, we're going to create and lift ourselves up. And if they mm-hmm. if they cripple that pathway, well, then you're left with, you know, either going to corporate mm-hmm. America or if you're really not woke and you can't get a corporate job, you're basically on the dole. You know, you're like you're going to end up being a welfare person. And, and it's like, well, that's those both those options suck. Like for the most part, I mean, s- some corporate jobs aren't terrible, but most of them are awful because you can't you can't speak out. You kind of have to go along with the the mob. Um, you know, I've been out of the work world as as an entrepreneur for, you know, I retired two years ago and and began the show, but I I ran my own company for uh, over a decade prior to that. So I haven't been in corporate America for like 15 years. So I know just from friends talking about it, like how bad it's gotten where they have this woke training and, and you have to basically condemn your own skin color and all sorts of fucking Mm -hmm. crazy stuff. Uh, But the fact that it's now getting down to the individual, you know, the very, very small entrepreneur, uh, is is really concerning. I mean, it it like I I don't want to overstate it, but it, it's it's a really big deal. And this is why I wanted to have you on because you are one of them that's being impacted directly. Are there other people that you're aware of that are suffering the same fate? Yes, actually, a friend of mine who I, I met through Twitter as well. She started doing uh, Liberty themed patches around the same time I started working with Epoxy, and she started selling on Etsy as well. I actually purchased from her through there. And um, I don't remember if it was the same day or if it was like a day apart, but she got almost the exact same email that I got from Etsy. Mm. Uh, I don't remember if she was on Instagram as well, but I know she she did get from Etsy and she actually told me the other day, she's like, yeah, I couldn't handle the double standards. All these leftists were allowed to post all these horrible, violent you know, Antifa this, burn this down and kill this and punch that. But then we say, you know, good people break bad laws and we associate with libertarianism. All of a sudden, we are the terrorists. We are the bad guys. We're the ones calling for violence. It's so crazy. I mean, it is really crazy. It, basically, you can be an anarchist if you're like the the burn everything down, but I want a huge state government. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Like those folks are fine. But the ones that just want to be left alone. No, no, no. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's really tragic. And the uh, a lot of people are asking, you know, about alternative marketplaces. As you've said, you know, Gab is for the most part there's there's not any good options. And another thing that I think a lot of people aren't privy to is that it's oftentimes uh, another layer of this that that makes it really problematic is that the the payment processors will because they are completely owned by BlackRock and ESG and all this stuff. Um, they will they will basically remove their their capacity to pay out funds to people that are producing products like this. So even if even if say eBay or or any of these companies were to you know keep you on board, um, like I know uh, Magnus Panvidia, he was selling shirts on Teespring, and then they they just didn't pay him out. You know, like he was selling them, but they wouldn't send him his funds because he's like totally persona non grata, like canceled everywhere. Um, for being, you know, affiliated with the Boogaloo. So it's fucking crazy. I've been seeing on Twitter, um, I can't think of the guy's name, to be honest. I hadn't heard of him until I saw this tweet, but I saw like some some sort of content creator. He recently just got deplatformed from Patreon. He was making $4,000 a month and he got deplatformed literally just for appearing on InfoWars. No shit. Yeah. I saw this on Twitter like, three days ago this was very recent oh, I, yeah I, I heard about that i don't i don't remember who it was but i was i was concerned um alex stein who's the host of conspiracy castle which i was on like 10 days ago he he's the one that does those uh those city council meetings where he raps and went yes, super yes. duper viral uh he was on tucker carlson last night and i was like dude i don't know if i would have <laughs> done that like i think his his youtube channel is not long for this earth i mean this is this is the sad reality is like this this is People don't understand the chilling effect that this has. Like it, it basically makes it so that anybody who's independent, who's doing just decent, like just barely getting by, it makes it so that they will actually turn down opportunities because Alex is a nutcase. So like, he's like, fuck it. Yeah, I'll go on Tucker Carlson. Like, I don't care. Um, but a lot of people would be like, I don't want to risk my little, my little source of income. I'm just going to keep my head down. And, and I, it's a, it's a real, it's a conundrum. Like I, I don't blame anybody for making a decision one way or the other. I just feel like, the more of us that are willing to just buck the trend and get canceled and and create the market demand for an alternative um, you know economy essentially like the faster we can get this show on the road because it's not it's not going to get any better you know it's not going to no, get better if we, if we just worse. keep our head down i completely agree with you i, I agree with you 100% um i mean you mentioned you know corporatism and how woke they are and you know, I was working when I was bartending a couple of years ago, I was working for a corporation and I'm not going to lie. I kind of just let my nuts hang. <laughs> I was, I was like, look, I'm the most qualified person here. If you don't want to lose me, you're going to let me do my thing no matter what. And it was funny because uh, we were shut down for a while. It was, like I said, it was a movie theater. And, uh, my the guy that trained me when I came back, we were supposed, we went through all this like COVID procedure training, et cetera. And they wanted us to download an app to track symptoms, to track other people who are getting symptoms, you know, the whole COVID tracker dealer. And the guy that trained me walks up to me, he hands me just a little list of handwritten symptoms. And he just goes, I know you're not downloading that app. So here's, this is a compromise. It walks away, <laughs> you know? And um, I, I feel like that's what needs to happen. We kind of need to just go, no, I have every much right to exist as much as you do. And it's so funny how all these leftists, you know, they're the ones to scream, we need universal healthcare. We need a universal income. We need, you know, communism. Oh, well, can I sell my stuff on your site? No. 
<laughs> you don't deserve an income. You're probably white supremacist. So you and your kids well, can just starve. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not putting up with that. And unfor unfortunately, that's <laughs> the nature of communism is that. Oh, yeah. Uh, it always sounds OK up front. And then you're like, as soon as you get into it, uh, if you're not exactly with the program, you're now one of the millions of starving people. And mm -hmm. and that's uh, unfortunately, you know, even though a lot of people think that we're still the land of the free home of the brave, all that bullshit, it's like that that ship sailed a while ago. Like we are pretty down, pretty far down the path to, I mean, it's, it's global communism from my vantage point. So like it, it's, it's, excuse me, it's global fascism uh, from my, my vantage point. So it's, it's not exactly communism. It's not exactly fascism. It's, but it has the telltale signs of both um, be beyond, you know, our, our own drive to, to create parallel economies, which I think is obviously vitally needed. And I, I understand that there's going to be a tremendous amount of pain in the in the interim, and and there's going to be a lot of sacrifice for people that are willing to to take the path that you and I are on. You know, where we're just bucking the trend and not not allowing cancel culture to deter us. Um, do you have any any words of encouragement for people that are out there to to try and get them to to take the same path? Because I, I I've been trying. I maybe you can reach them. The way I see it, we can't sit here and talk about how we're going to resist. We're going to fight back. We collect all of our guns. We're so ready for shit to hit the fan. And then we're afraid to sell our own little crafts because what if we get a dirty look at the next family potluck? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sorry. I can't take it seriously. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I am a little fortunate in the sense where my whole immediate family is actually libertarian like all of us are but well, we also all have the same attitude all of us are like we don't care we don't care what you think because quite frankly when shit hits the fan we know you guys are going to be coming to us because we're the ones who are prepared we're the ones with with the homestead we're the ones with the skills we're the ones with the smarts Right. And we're going to be the ones with the power to say no. So you better, <laughs> you better be nice to us or so help me God, you're fucked. <laughs> like, or you're, you're not, you're not welcome in, in my compound unless you're fucking <laughs> buying my products right now. No, Wait, you want to kick me out? Okay. Karma's going <laughs> to bite you in the ass. Like I'm, I'm uh, sorry, not sorry. No, you're totally right. And, and I, I don't think that, uh, why are people in the comments someone's just asking me why do i want open borders it's like do you even know me man i, I don't know why you're asking that anyways um so yeah i i i think one other aspect of this that i'd, I'd like to you know just kind of lay out for people is i don't think people understand how rapidly the system is breaking down um you know a lot it's it's unfortunate because so many libertarians fear-mongered for decades and decades and now I just sound like another one of them by, by <laughs> saying like, hey, shit's really fucked up right now. But I, I can't emphasize enough how much more serious the situation is today than it was a decade ago. Like Absolutely. we are we are so far down the path to essentially totalitarianism. Um, I think the thing that disturbs me most is that there's so many there's so many people in America that that support this. They like they have they've been indoctrinated to believe that they are good for deplatforming people like you and I. And, mm -hmm. and it's fascinating because people like you and I have no interest in deplatforming them. Like I, right. I, right. I have, I have no ill will towards someone who's selling some silly product that says something that I disagree with. Like if people want to buy it, good on you. Uh, uh I completely agree. Well, I was just going to say like on that exact topic. So I mentioned the Facebook group deal, how, you know, they have the groups, there's 30 or so sellers and you sell to 
you know, people join it to buy it. Right. I am creating my own. And I was kind of internally debating, like, do I say no political items allowed or do I say, fuck it, let everybody do their own thing? And I finally settled on, no, I'm not going to silence anybody because that's what's going on with me. So, no, my rule is you sell whatever the fuck you want. I don't care what your political. I mean, there are some things like, you know, I can't allow just because it can set off Facebook algorithms. You know, I can't do like pornographic stuff because that can get the whole group shut down, things like that. Um, but otherwise my like one major rule is if you don't like it you shut the fuck up or you leave like if you're actively causing problems you're picking fights you're being a bully and you're just you know being a hot mess then no you're you're, you're gonna go i'm not gonna tolerate sure. that because then well, you're affecting everybody yeah. yeah you're affecting everybody's sales at that point so i'm not gonna tolerate that but otherwise you sell whatever the hell you want and it goes for everybody. We all have a right to, ex we all have the same right to exist. You know, we all, as long as we're all putting in the hustle, whatever, you all hustle. I don't, I don't fucking care. Let the free market decide. Right. That's what it comes down to is let the buyers decide how much money you're going to make. That's what free market's about. Well, I, I think that this is kind of where the post-libertarian uh, mentality has arisen in that there's a lot of people that are very upset about how we're being treated. And um, it's obviously a re reactionary type mindset where you're like, well, these people want to starve us. Let's starve them. And, and I'm glad to hear that you're not taking that, that on because I, I ultimately think that that's a, a recipe for increase, you know, escalating, uh, dissent, uh, you know, disagreement and, and antagonism and eventually anger and violence amongst people. And as a peaceful person, I don't want to go down that path, but I will say this, I completely understand the human instinct to be like, oh, you want me to platform? Well, yeah. guess what? When I, whenever I get the power to fuck you over, I'm going to do it too. And and I don't know how I don't know how we actually like keep keep people with your mindset from our from our side of the fence. Like it's uh it's going to be a problem, I think. Honestly, my whole philosophy is essentially take no harm, do no shit. You know, I'm not going to wish ill will on anyone. I'm not going to actively hurt anybody. But if Did you're you mean, actively no shit, do no harm. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Do no harm. Take no shit. Yes. But um, that's just it. It's if you're going to treat me with respect and you're going to put in some effort, because like, I'm not going to let you leech off of me. Absolutely not. But if you're putting in some effort, we can come to some kind of agreement. We can barter and work together. Absolutely. I would love to work with you. But if you've spent these, you know, I'm not going to wish any ill will on you. I'm not going to wish violence, but I'm also not just going to keep you running. I've got kids. I got it. They're my priority. So yeah, no, like I'm not, I don't want anyone to get hurt, but I have to think about my well-being and my kids well-being first and foremost. And that includes making money or if shit hits the fan or whatever, it doesn't matter. Right. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I feel like I feel like that is something a lot of people are kind of black and white on, you know, like we either have to be ultra violence or we have to just cater to everybody's whim. It's like, no, like there's right. a balance there. People just figure out the balance that works best for you. Yeah, no, there's certainly a middle ground. And, and I, I agree with you. Like it's, you shouldn't turn the cheek to the point that, you know, you're in a gulag. Like you, you have to, you have to stand up for yourself at some point. Um, and, and that includes the people that are, are coming after us. Uh, so yeah, uh, go ahead and tell me like what what you're planning to do other than the Facebook path. Are you do you have any anything that you can uh, you know help your business right now that you could tell the people about? Um, as of right now, there's a few things I'm working on. I'm probably just going to rebrand and I'm going to create 
two different shops, one that's liberty minded, one that's not because I do mix of both. I do have proudlibertarian.com that wants to work with me and sell my libertarian products. So that is in the works. I have a, a, a somebody who's I'm going to work with me to create my own website so I can link that into my bios and just have everybody directly go there. So, and um, I am going to be getting back into my own podcasting, et cetera, and just more social media promoting. So, because honestly, most of my sales, I actually get through Twitter, funny enough. So mm-hmm. it sucks that I lost my Etsy, but most of my Etsy sales were people from Twitter going to my Etsy. So it's really not that huge of a deal for me personally, but I'm that's not the norm, of course. Yeah. Right. So I'm kind of just rolling with the punches here and adapting, you know, but I mean, isn't everybody well, to some extent right now? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, I went from a, a legit mortgage company to a podcaster, you know, and, and that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big transition. It's, it doesn't even feel real still that I've been doing it almost two years now. Um, Absolutely. But everyone's everyone's going to have to make this this choice, essentially. Like, it's only go- going to increase in, in its severity, especially if you're mm-hmm. in corporate America. Like, they're going to start to make uh, demands of you. If the, if the vaccine mandates weren't enough of a demand for make you really deeply consider pulling the ripcord and getting the fuck out of corporate America. I don't know what else it'll take. Like, you right. know, like I, it's, well, it's going to get worse and worse. And that is part of my concern is that how many people are, how many libertarians are just getting walked on. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I feel like it's not much better than seeing a, uh, you know, pr- any stereotypical progressive account on Twitter that has hashtag resist in their bio. What are they resisting? And quite frankly, what are y'all resisting? Like, honest question, where are you guys actually resisting? I mean, I mean, I don't expect you guys to get up and pull your guns and start fighting or anything. Obviously not. But when you're just caving in and you're you're doing what corporate corp, the corporations want you to do, you're doing what the government all wants you to do when you have a choice to do something different, but it's just easier for you to comply. Well, you're not really resisting anything. And we we are allowing ourselves to get canceled. Yeah. And that's dangerous. Again, we are perfectly aware. We're looking at a potential World War III right now. We're looking at food shortages. We're obviously looking at inflation. Fuel costs have gone through the roof. We need to make monies so we can prepare for worst case scenario. We need to have our prep storages, et cetera, right now. Now is the time to get that done. So if you're letting people take away your income because you're afraid of a little backlash or whatever it may be, you're fucked. And when shit hits the fan, I'm sorry, you guys aren't going to survive. Yeah. You're just not. That's a good, a good warning for the audience out there. Um, You know, I've been (laughs) prepping for a long time and, and I'm, I'm trying, I've been encouraging people to do the same. Unfortunately, you know, now it's very expensive to do so because it is, but it's going to get worse. Yeah, no. And it, and it will. I mean, the, the one upside of the fact that they are hiking interest rates is that I think we could see a deflationary (laughs) collapse, which would allow people that that delayed um to have a cheaper entry point into you know buying prep stuff but there's no assurance that they're going to hike interest rates adequately to to break the back of inflation and and you have to hike interest rates really severely to do that so um at this point i think we're looking at stagflation where you have a stagnated economy and you have an inflationary environment so you have you know (laughs) your your savings purchase less and your income decreases. Like that's, that's where, that's where we're at right now. That's what it looks like the next year or two is going to be. And that's the worst possible, you know, place to be for people. Cause it's, it's just a, it's like living in uh, 
purgatory, you know, <laughs> it's right. the worst of both worlds. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize, I feel like maybe a lot of people have this mentality that eventually things are going to get more back, going to get back to normal and prices are going to go back down. Guys, this is corporatism. Once the prices go up and they're thinking, oh, people are willing to pay these prices because they have to. You really think they're going to drop back down all that much? They yeah. might a little bit, but they're not well, going to go back to what it was before. Yeah, no, they probably won't. And I, I mean, the, the the biggest issue, though, is is the Federal Reserve's um, interest rate policy. It, like, if they keep these these rates super low, inflation is going to continue to run rampant. That's that's really simple. So, um, you know, they're, they're only promising to raise rates by like a half a point or so over the remainder of this year. That's not going to be enough to stop inflation for sure. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know how it plays out. I, I'm very uh, appreciative of people like you that are trying to remove themselves from the system proactively uh, because you're you're really like a, a frontier a frontiersman a frontier woman uh, you're, you're you're actually out there trying to create on your own and do it independently and not be at the uh, the mercy of some corporate overlord or the government hopefully uh, so I I just I wish you the best I I really I think that this is this is the future like it or not like people are going to have to make this choice and and as yeah. we've said multiple times, like it is going to get harder to make this decision. So if you're not already working on a side hustle, uh, even if you don't want to completely pull the ripcord and exit corporate America, you're making a mistake, in my opinion, because at some point, I think in your lifetime and probably very, very imminently, uh, we're all going to make this decision. What, what do you think about that? Do you think that this is getting going to be that pervasive that everybody makes that call? I, I honestly don't think everybody is going to, you know, I mean, I mean, it's going to come down to that eventually, honestly. And I, I've been saying this for years. You, it's not even just a side hustle thing, extra money kind of thing. You need to develop your skills that you can use when shit hits the fan and you can barter with, you need those survivals because we're not gonna be able to do it all ourselves, which is why building a community is so important. And then that community, I mean, honestly, I feel like that's a really big part of it. Um, just community in general. We need yep. to make more con con connections with other preppers, other homesteaders, just other liber liberty-minded people in general. Not even necessarily liberty-minded, just anybody that's willing to work with us and understands, oh, things are getting really bad. And I need, because there, I have known more left-minded people who are like, no, yeah, things are getting bad and I need to build my skills and I'm willing to work with you. I'll tolerate your beliefs. You're fine. I don't care. We just socially agree on some different things, but you know, ultimately we have the same goal here so that's right. fine but um yeah no we need to start honing our skills now for, for money and just for when things get really rough because we are going to end up using them i promise i've already had to do it yeah. i've already had to do that many times you know i mean but everyone's too afraid to step out and look for like-minded people they're afraid of talking about their beliefs to anybody because of backlash or whatever it may be. And we need to stop doing that. I'll, ultimately, I feel like the big answer to all of this is grow a pair. Honestly, grow a pair and well, that, that's, let them that's hang. Kind of a, that's a prerequisite. But I think that, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, coming together as a people, you know, as, as yes. weird as that sounds, because we're all a bunch of individualists, but coming together as some level of a collective where we can look after each other is probably the next step in this. Um, Absolutely. And, this is why I moved to Florida. I don't know if I'll ultimately stay here, but you know, trying to be a around more similarly minded people so that we can have that community, we can try and lift each other up 
it's really the only option. Um, anyways, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at duality of Han H H A N. Um, or my handle is mother girth because I like puns. What can I say? <laughs> but, um, that's really where I am mainly. I mean, I'm on other stuff and not as much. So yeah, if you want to see my sales and everything, my updates, whatever it may be in the meantime, 90% of that stuff is going to be on my Twitter. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Han. It was great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on. Good talking to you. Have a good one. You too. Bye. And now we're going to have on someone who is being uh, canceled. His entire 200 coworkers are being uh, fired for not taking the V. Mike, how are hey, you? Hey, what's going on, man? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, you sound great. All right, perfect. Sound great. Look re great. Thank you, Clint, for having me That's on, okay. man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, uh, I, I, was, of... I, was so I was so concerned when... You know, when I hear about stories like this, I don't think people hear enough of this, you know, where and, and yours was so unique in that you guys were actually working on the safety and efficacy of vaccines. And to to be um, even you are now being forced to make that decision that I think that's a really fascinating situation. So I wanted to talk to you about it. I, sorry, the connection's kind of spotty. I hope you're all right. No, yeah, I could see you fine. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been a journey. You know, we found out back in November. Um, and just to kind of give a little background for your audience, I work at Santa Fe Pastor in Swiftwater, PA. Uh, I've been there for 12 years. I started as a temporary worker through a temp agency. Did that for about, I want to say like four or five years, actually about four years before I can get hired full time. There was a hiring freeze for about four years. Um, and then when I got hired full time and when I was a temp, I was actually working in influenza production. So the actual production of, you know, the flu vaccines. And it's uh, very interesting, you know, it's unlike anything that I've ever done before, you know, before that had a lot of dead end jobs, working a lot of construction, bartenders, stuff like that. And I kind of just stumbled across it and uh, it seemed interesting. And so I went for it, you know. And uh, so I worked for about, I want to say, five years in flu production. And then I spent another six years in the inspection department where we actually, after we fill, you know, the vials or the syringes, run them through uh, inspection machines or manually inspect them, just to make sure there's no um, erroneous material in there, defects, anything like that could, that could hurt the patient. And then for the past year, I actually been working in an engineering department as a uh, salary employee. So, um, you know, with a nice fancy title, manager associate scientist, which is, you know, never thought that I would have a label like that. Um, so that's kind of like the background of my history with the company. Um, Really enjoyed working there. Like I said, unlike anything I've ever done before, and uh, certainly not what you would expect a vaccine company to be like. Um, I think everybody has like a picture in their head where it's just like all these fancy laboratories, and it is a lot of that. But the people who work there, I thought were just going to be a bunch of scientists, and it was just, you know, regular people like me, you know, people from the community. So, and it just happens to be you know, one of the best paying jobs in the area, if not the best paying job in the area. There's only a couple employers in our area that actually pay pretty well. When you compare that to the rest of the industry, they're actually, you know, pretty far behind um, the rest of the industry. If let's, For instance, if you went to Philadelphia or something like that, you would get paid same position, much more money. But again, you know, doesn't have to commute, live about 10, 15 minutes away from the job. All right. This sounds good, you know. So I made a run at it and, uh, you know, did pretty well for myself. But here we are. 
uh, last November, we found out that they were going to be enforcing this mandate. And uh, with a, I think the original end date was uh, sometime in March. And then they actually, uh, or excuse me, sometime in, uh, yeah, sometime in March. And then they pushed that back to now April 20th. So we got about a month left here before roughly about 200 or so of us at Swift Order get terminated. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's an accurate, uh, a specifically accurate number. That's just kind of what we've been hearing. It right. went from about 400 uh, at the beginning of the year down to about 230, 240 is what we're hearing now. And just out of curiosity, how many total employees are there in that, in that branch? Um, at Swiftwater, there's about 2,500 employees. So, okay, so, uh, so the vast majority have already gone, gone through with it, sounds like. Yeah, yeah, we're about 75, 80%. Uh, vaccinated at Swiftwater. Yeah. So, you know, the, when we're looking at this, this probably would have made sense to do uh, last year, you know, this time last year when we had the vaccine just came out. Numbers were still through the roof. A lot of uncertainty still on how to treat it, how to, you know, how this thing was going to play out in the long term. And a lot of us just don't understand, you know, why now they're really enforcing this. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, in my tweet thread that I posted and I tagged you and I, I don't like adding people on on Twitter because I know a lot of people don't like that. But we've had some we've had some uh, one of my coworkers, Angela, she actually had some uh, local news stations do interviews with her. Um, WNEP, WBRE, I didn't think a Fox affiliate. And after we saw the way that those stories were run, uh, we kind of started talking about like, you know, we got to do more. They only ran, you know, out of an hour long interview, maybe about, you know, a minute, two minutes of her interview. And the way that they frame it, I think at least one of them framed it as we were threatening to quit instead of we were actually being terminated for being on facts. So, um, you know, that's just not the truth of the matter. And I can go into details about who we are and the type of people we are. And please I think do. There's, yeah, there's I think there's a large misconception about who this group of people might be. I think a lot of people and some of the comments that we saw from the, some of those news stations was, uh, you know, you know, get rid of these anti-vax Trump supporters and, you know, all stuff like that. And it's just not true. Um, right. Well, you got, the, you got a, a supporter here. AMTM says on from Sanofi here. Go, Michael. Sanofi is weak and wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they lost the moral high ground with this one, I feel. And it's just a shame because I wasn't planning on leaving this company for another 30 years. Um, but yeah, you know, the group of us, we're all ages, very diverse ages, gender, um, you know, how long we've been with the company, our political standpoints, our religious standpoints. It's all across the board. You know, they're not all Trump supporters. Some of them despise of Trump. You know, you know, we got Christians, Muslims, Catholics, you know, Jews. And um, unfortunately, you're going through the process that they laid out for us for putting in religious exemptions, medical exemptions, you know, we haven't seen a lot of uh, people get through that process. As far as religious exemptions go, and as far as I know, and as far as we know in the discussion, we don't know anybody who's been granted a religious exemption. I believe there's been a few medical exemptions granted. Um, there's some of us in the group, um, at least one person who's pregnant and put in a medical exemption and that was denied. Um, so, you know, it just seems odd on the way that they're handling this. There's not a lot of compassion involved, for sure. And, I, you know, I, I want to drive the point to that, um, you know, 
these people love what they do at this company. They've sacrificed a lot, a lot of 12 hour shifts, a lot of rotating schedules, a lot of overtime, especially during flu season. If you're in production, this is not one of those jobs you could do from home over the laptop. You have to go into the uh, production floor to actually do the job. So in 2020 and 2021, when a lot of people were given the choice to just stay home or work from home, you know, myself included, you know, we were there every single day through the height of the pandemic, through the worst of the worst, through the most dangerous times, you know. And um, now we're being told that if they allow us to stay, that we will create an undue hardship for the company. And we haven't gotten any answers and clarification on what that means. Yeah, and, I was just going to ask, like, what what is the potential hardship? If you have the V, you can still get it. So, like, what difference does it make at this point? I really don't understand. Can you can you even guess at what, what they mean by that? Because it seems as if they're just using it as an excuse to get you guys out of there because you didn't go along. Yeah, I think it's um I think what one of us heard in a private conversation with their manager was uh it just looks bad, you know, for there to be unveed people at a company that produces, you know, vaccines. But, now we don't I'm have sure our... I'm sure many of those those two hundred already got COVID, which means that they have, you know, similar, if not better, protection than the people that have got the jab. So I what uh I just I, I I do understand I guess the the PR hit, but why mm -hmm. why not just be quiet about it? Why not why like even bring attention to it? The the fact that they're gonna have to lay off 200 employees that refuse to get it seems like a way worse PR hit than anything that could possibly happen if they were to just have let it go. Yeah, I mean I think clearly they were just hoping that we would just fade away into the darkness and not say anything about it. And um, I mean, they were pretty clear early on in their communication. There won't be severance packages paid out. Some yeah. of us in the other side. So here, here's a couple key points that really, really um, kind of muddy the waters for us. Here, re real quick, what, yeah. what's the name of the company again? Sanofi Pasteur. Okay. Yeah, and is it is it a global company or is it global just company based in global. France? Based out of France, they have okay. sites in every single con on every continent practically. Except maybe Antarctica or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm familiar, so I just wanted to clarify yeah. for people. Uh, one of the biggest uh, vaccine companies in the world is solely works on vaccines and a lot of their uh, entities. Um, we have plants everywhere, everywhere from China to Canada to sure. Little Swiftwater, Pennsylvania. Got it. Um, so a couple of things that stood out to us as being um, a little suspect were the fact that this isn't even being really enforced in france or in canada and here in the freest country in the world apparently it's being enforced but it's not even allegedly being, allegedly <laughs> is not being enforced evenly across the sites in the united states so for example in uh chattanooga tennessee they don't have to do it and we ask you know why we start digging why is that well, when they got the communication early on, I think they made so much of a, a fuss about it that the company realized like, hey, if these people walk out today, we're done. This site closes down. We'll lose millions of dollars, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, and I think when it hit us at Swiftwater, there wasn't a lot of fuss. The company's done a very good job of making us feel like we're alone. You know, for a while there, I thought I was the only person like, oh, mm -hmm. man, is it just me here? And then I start finding out, no, it's this person, people I've worked with for a long time. We have employees 20, 25 years plus 
dedicated their last 25 years of their life to this company and they got terminated or they're getting terminated. Right. We have employees in, in Boston and New Jersey who were terminated in the middle of January and they were never paid out their bonuses for 2021 because the company pays the bonuses out in March. So these people got the extra, you know, short end of the stick by not even getting their bonus. And uh, it's, it's just been completely frustrating if for me, and I, you know, I think I speak for a lot of these folks, if, if it was about safety, it was, if it was about, you know, the safety of the employee base, then it would be enforced evenly across all sites. It wouldn't be a question. Um, Another example was for a little while at the beginning of this year, if you didn't have the jab, you had to go through weekly testing, but uh, just to get on site. So every Monday or Tuesday, I would have to log into a telehealth. They sent me some tests. I would take a swab. You know, as long as I was negative, I was allowed to go back to work that week. But if you provided proof of vaccination, let's say last October, you could just show up to work. No problem. And I made it very clear in writing to HR, to my management, to employee relations, to anybody who I could send it to, that I felt like that was extremely discriminatory for obvious reasons, um, but also very unsafe. Because if we're really doing this for the safety of our coworkers, well, then how come this person next to me doesn't have to do it? They could be walking on site today with COVID and nobody's going to ask them anything. Now they give me COVID and now what? You know, so now it's so it's just a weird it's a weird dichotomy there. Yeah. And uh, it's just very confusing, you know, uh, standard. I mean, and I yeah, it would be it'd be extremely frustrating. Um, Can I ask what your personal reason is for not wanting to do it? Um, Yeah, you don't want to talk about it. It's fine. Yeah, I think um, I think at this point, it probably doesn't matter what somebody's reason is for not wanting to do it. But I typically um, do not lend well to being forced or coerced into doing something hey you're my people <laughs> yeah yeah um i, I mean that honestly like i i wasn't even anti-v pre-2020 like I, I was like hey whatever maybe i'll get it maybe i won't and then as soon as they mandated it i was like well then i'm never getting it <laughs> like it's really that yeah. simple for me uh, yeah, yeah. but i know for a lot of people it's you know there's health concerns and all sorts of other reasons that they have and and I think that they're all, this is the thing that, that pisses me off is like, I don't give a fuck what your reason is to be blunt. Like you, mm-hmm. you own your own body and you have a choice. And if you're sick, you should stay home. And if you're not, then you should go to work. And that's, that's really all there is yeah. to it. And, and that's, to me, it's as simple as that. I mean, I understand because of the, the nature of the industry that you're in, um, they could take a little bit harder stance, but didn't they lift the, the, uh, federal vaccine mandate? in the u.s anyway so this is just the the corporate decision exclusively right this is exclusively a u.s corporate decision so oh, again so, okay, we're based in france we're based out of france our company right and um it's it's only really being handled this way in the u.s and essentially only for certain sites you know if you made enough noise early on well we're not going to mess with you because that's <laughs> a lot of bad pr but here we are you know now we have some of my coworkers doing you know, uh, doing interviews with news stations. You got me here on your podcast. A lot of people making noise about this now, and they're not they're not just going to go away. And really, <laughs> what we want is, first and foremost, we don't want to get fired. First and foremost. Yeah, of course. You know, I'm not a, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I've had all my vaccines, all of them. Right. All right. Yeah. Um, 
if I really didn't believe in, um, you know, vaccines at all, I wouldn't have spent the last 12 years of my life helping produce them and making sure that we were producing safe and effective vaccines. Right. And that's that's exactly what, you know, we did. That's what we attempt to do every day there. Um, so first and foremost, we just don't want to lose our jobs. No, and of secondly, we just want answers to some of these questions. You know, why is this not being enforced consistently across all the sites? Why isn't it being enforced consistently across the sites in different countries, you know, mm -hmm. in countries that potentially are not as free as as we are here in this country here? So um, lots of questions have still been unanswered and our questions are just being ignored. Um, yeah. You well, know, this, a this is a this is a great comment. Philip Morris doesn't make all its employees smoke. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like just because you guys produce it doesn't mean that you have to take it. It's it's kind of a, a weird stand to take. Ha, have you um, you know, your your local boss, you know, not the the highest level, mm -hmm. have you been able to have a sit down with them and and at least discuss this or no? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My boss, my direct manager is a he's a great guy. He's a great guy. So and here's the other thing. Every single person you will talk to will say. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm in compliance here with this policy, but I don't agree with it at all. Right. So I was having discussions with people, you know, on site in the cafeteria when there's lots of people around. And then when, when they get to that part, they start whispering, you know, hey, man, I don't really agree with this. You know, I'm like, hey, don't whisper that part. That's the part you need to say out loud. And then I start speaking loudly. And now everybody around knows exactly what we're talking about. And this poor sap here is just like, oh, man, that's not <laughs> what I wanted. I didn't want this attention brought to me. But frankly, you know, when when good men do nothing, bad men, you know, get away with whatever the hell it is that they want to do. And that's what's happening now. And not to say that necessarily all the people in the chain are bad people. You know, I think a lot of them are going along to get along. You know, there's a lot of livelihoods on the line up the chain, you know, who make far more money than I do, mm -hmm. have a lot more invested than I do. Maybe they don't think it's worth it to speak up, even if they don't agree with it. Well, that's, so. that's the problem. And, and unfortunately, you know, if you don't have numbers, then at, at some point, I don't know what the threshold will be. Say it's mm -hmm. 150 or 200 people are seriously going to allow their jobs to be eliminated on this principle. Well, that may be enough. You know, that could be enough. And if it's 40 people that are are only the, the only holdouts, then it's probably not going to be enough. And, and the what would be really advantageous is if the people who have already gotten the vaccine were, were to have the courage to say, if you fire 200 of my coworkers for believing in bodily autonomy, I'm going to walk out with them. You know, yeah. like, and I, I know that's a huge, it's a huge ask and I, and I, mm -hmm. it would be extremely courageous, but that's what we need in this moment. We need to come together. And it's weird because I've never been a, a big union guy. Um, but it, it's I got kind a of, good story about that. <laughs> workers of the world must unite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, so me either. I got a good story about that. About uh, two, three years ago, right before the pandemic hit, there was a big push at Swiftwater to unionize, a really big push. And uh, upper management was, they were scared. They were putting out all sorts of leaflets and pamphlets trying to convince us that this particular union that wanted to represent us was just going to destroy, you know, the company and the industry and the business. And my father worked local uh, local three union as an electrician in Manhattan, you know, for like 30, 35 years. So I know at least secondhand what 
being a part of a union was like because he was sure. he was the shop steward you know he was in the meetings every every five years renegotiating their contracts and like he was telling me and this was kind of like part of the reason why i was against that push for the union i was actually very vocal against the union for a couple of reasons one of them being he said you know when we had our first contract it was great for us then our second contract you know the, the union gets in and then now they're in they don't want to they don't want to get out so they're going to you're going to play a little game. You no, know? we give a little to take a little. So they're going to give a little bit up just to stay into that industry, you know, to represent that. And he said, as the years went on and the contracts went on, they became less and less in favor to the employee. So that was one reason why I was against it, just from hearing his stories. The other reason why I was against it was we do have an issue, and I think it probably goes in all industries, but an issue that I saw where we carry a lot of dead weight at, um, at our employer. We have low performing employees and we have a, like a pretty uh, robust uh, review process, like a yearly review process where you have to go in. You actually have to say like what your plan is to accomplish for the year. And then like there's milestones you have to hit. And then, you know, if you don't do it, you get reviewed. And if allegedly if you have a low enough review enough times in a row, you know, everybody has a bad year. But if you have four bad years that, you know, you face termination or some sort of reprimand. And that never really seemed to happen. Um, you know, unless you were like a squeaky wheel, then they found a way to get rid of you. So I saw the union as coming in and being a bad thing for me because I was a high performing worker. Right. And I knew that I was already carrying the weight of several other people in my department. And those people with the union representation would be able to skate by, you know. So so not only do you have low performers who remain low performers and now that you really can't get rid of them, but now you have high performers who become mediocre performers. Because they're saying, well, why am I going to keep pulling all this weight if exactly. I could just keep my job and not try so hard? Yeah. So and I'm I not going to get that. I'm not going to get the raise anyways, you know, or yeah. the raise is going to be like bracketed at some sub cap. So yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. As yeah, a yeah. high performer in corporate America in my prior life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would I would never want to be in a union. Yeah. So I was very vocal against it so much so that I had director level uh, employees reaching out to me saying, hey, man, do you want to like. You know, kind of be our poster boy against. Yeah, the they union. they loved you. <laughs> I said, "Hey, hey, buddy! No, 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 that's not me." I'm like, first of all, um, I I'm really sad that you just sent me this email to ask me this. I'm like, but it would be extremely stupid for me or for any of my coworkers to do that for you because just because I don't think it's a good idea doesn't mean the rest of my employ uh, coworkers doesn't think it's a good idea. And right. then let's say I, you know, I did what I did and I was so against it. And then it turned out to be a bad thing. Now, hindsight is 2020 here. It's 2022 yeah. now. Looking back, my biggest regret was not pushing for that union, not yeah. supporting that union, because I truly believe that if we were unionized at the point of when this pandemic hit, a lot of the mandates, a lot of the push for this would not be going on, especially now in March 2022. It doesn't make sense to do this now. This thing is endemic. You know, this isn't like we don't know how to treat it. There's no protocols available. I mean, right. vaccines, if you want to take them. Here's the other thing about this group of people getting terminated. We all believe in your right to go and get the vaccine. We all believe in that. And right. every single person who comes up to us and says, yeah, I had to get it. They all feel like they need to justify to me why they decided to go get it. And I have to stop them. Well, you know, uh, my, my dad's 80 years old and I'm taking care. I'm like, hey, 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 you don't have to explain anything to me. You don't have to justify anything to me. You do what's right for you. I'll do what's right for me. Sure. My, you know, my umbrella doesn't keep you dry. So it doesn't really <laughs> matter, you know, 
what you do. You know, I if I like you, you're my friend, you're my coworker, I'm going to treat you exactly the same as I always have. I never I never put that in between me and anybody. Um, so it's just like th that's what this group of people, this 200 plus people are people who really do believe in the freedom of choice and, you know, the choice to put something in your body that listen 10 20 years down the line we don't even know we don't know what's going to happen hopefully nothing happens you yeah. know about half my family is is vaccinated half of them aren't so like i got a i got a dog in that fight i don't want to see any of my family get hurt you know so I don't, I don't know anybody that wants there to be a bunch of you know people dropping dead like everyone everyone's hoping for the best here but that i think this is the thing that that pisses me off the most is like the people like you and I, you know, the, the ones that actually believe in bodily autonomy are the ones that don't want to force a decision on anybody else. Like no. we're, we're just saying, Hey, I want to be able to make my own decision and I want you to be able to make yours too. And, and like, that's, that's kind of the live and let live kind of, you know, the idealistic liberalism that I would have expected from the vast majority of Americans. And unfortunately we're now, kind of acting in a you know dictatorial fashion with people where your bodily bodily autonomy rights are no longer valid and it's all about the the collective risk assessment and and the individual is is thrown under the <laughs> the tire tracks and it's just very disappointing it's no, nothing i ever expected to see in my lifetime to be honest no i mean when this whole thing started i never thought that the, that i would be in this position here and uh, early on in, in 2020, uh, probably end of January, February 2020, I got really, really sick. Now, this is when I think Trump was saying, like, it's not even coming here. What are you talking? I think Fauci was even saying it's not even coming here. It's nothing to worry about. Go to, you know, go to Chinatown. You got Schumer in Chinatown. You got Nancy Pelosi. You know, it's like it's not even coming here. It'll be gone. It'll be a miracle. You know, one person will get it and it'll be over. You know, I got really, really sick. You know, it probably felt like if I had a compare it to something i would compare it to like the worst flu i ever had i had right. mono when i was 16 twice don't ask me don't ask me why i went back and made out with that girl again but you know <laughs> my having mono was probably the sickest i've ever been in my life and this felt a lot like that i was 103 fever for three days straight i was at the foot of my bed on the floor in in pain my body was in so much pain my stomach my chest like my whole entire body i was like wincing and verbally just like crying yeah, yeah. My wife was telling me to shut up suck it up buttercup you know type <laughs> of thing and uh no she she cared for me a lot um but after three days of course i'm like you know what i think i should go to the hospital or I go to the doctor like something's wrong here this isn't just like a flu because this thing would have been done already and uh by the time i went in of course the fever broke by the time i got there to the urgent care and she says, you know, yeah, there's something going around. Um, it's probably the flu. You know, do you want a test? I'm like, listen, don't waste the test on me if it's probably the flu. You know, it's basically running its course now. So it is what it is. Honestly, at that point, I'm not sure that they were even testing for COVID. So I don't they, know if they would have. There were no COVID tests at that point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, were, there weren't any. So they probably would have said you didn't even have the flu. <laughs> they wouldn't have even known what it was. At that yeah. Point. Yeah. Or you know what? Who knows what that test would have shown? I kind of regret not taking a test just to hmm. see, you know, and, and put my mind to some ease to say like yeah it was the flu or maybe it was a false read who the hell knows right sure. and then i got um at the beginning of this year over um over christmas about half my family got covid uh, mind you again half of them are vaxxed half of them are not half pretty much everybody already had covid um so half of them got covid the other half didn't so we did christmas with half the family 
you know, some people outside the window, like, hey, you know, my gift is in the blue bag, you know, <laughs> and uh, and it was sad, man. It was really, really sad. Of and then everybody felt tragic. better. And then we all got together for New Year's Eve. And then the rest of us, myself, my wife, you know, everybody else wind up getting wow. COVID. Yeah. Over uh, New Year's Eve. And that was uh, that was interesting. That was uh, that was probably it wasn't the same thing I felt in 2020. I felt a lot of head congestion, like really extremely painful headache. And um, well, you probably got the different variant, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I'm, I'm guessing Omicron or Delta. I don't know if it would have been sure. Delta. And I, I don't even think there's any way for them to test for these things. I know they were saying, well, you got Omicron, you got this, you got that. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think there is a way to test and determine what you have. It's just I don't even know how they determine. that. I think right? they probably could, but it would be too cost prohibitive. So they're just not. But mm -hmm. maybe not. I don't even know. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you're, yeah, it doesn't. you're sick. You're sick. You got it. So yeah, yeah. So uh, I went I went I reached out to my doctor, my primary care physician, who's a networked doctor. And I reached out to her and I said, hey, listen, I'm having these symptoms here. You know, uh, I don't feel like it's too bad, but, you know, I just want to reach out and make sure and see if there's any treatment that I can get to make sure it doesn't get bad. And the nurse on the chat system there. Now, I know about the treatments. I saw Dr. McCullough's, you know, Twitter feed and his podcast that he was doing. Excuse me. P, uh, Dr. Corey, you know, I was I was already looking at all of this stuff. So I already knew that there was some treatments that could be done early on to try to sure. help this thing get kicked out of your system. So I asked about the treatments and the nurse that responded said, well, there are no treatments. Just get plenty of rest and drink water. So I said. Well, that's very interesting. I said, what about these treatments? And I start sharing links to treatments. Right. And it takes her a little bit. And then she gets back to me. She goes, oh, we're fully aware of that. Almost like offended that like I was questioning her education as like a nurse or, you know, like as a health practitioner and uh, was like, you know, we know about these treatments, but you're not getting any of them. And I was just like, wow, that's very interesting. I'm like, so you lied to me. You told me that there were no treatments to just go to sleep. And now here, since I pushed back, now you're admitting that there are some treatments, but they're not going to be available to me. Okay, so can you just explain to me why this is? Yeah. And, you know, is that Peter McCullough uh, protocol? You know, you just get like a Z-Pack, some some Iver, Iver you know, I won't yeah. finish that. And uh, And the other thing was like some prednisone. So she went down the list. She said, well, the Z-Pack's not really going to help you. Uh, I know they won't give you the Iver at all that's not going to happen and the prednisone uh the prednisone i don't even think she addressed and then i asked about um the monoclonal antibodies and she said there's no way that you're going to qualify for monoclonal antibodies so i said listen can you just have my physician look at the information i sent and just see if any of this treatment is going to be right for me i don't know maybe it's not right for me this is why i'm coming to you so later on that day my doctor gets back to me through that chat system and she says i looked at everything and um just so you're aware, you're not going to get any of this stuff. And the prednisone, the steroid is not, what did she say? The, the steroids will not decrease the likelihood of mortality. That was her answer for the steroid part of it. And I said, well, I don't think that's why uh, that's being prescribed at all is to decrease your mortality. It's to treat the symptoms that you're feeling. Right. So now, so, and then I finished the conversation as uh, if this does get worse, what should I do? She said, if it gets worse, go to the hospital. I said, well, that seems counterproductive. I, you know, I want to stay out of the hospital. That's why I'm coming to you. And that's kind of where it was left. Later Jesus on that Christ. night, my freaking fever went through the roof. I had 103 fever. So I reached out to a, uh, a local chiropractor who I knew. And uh, he sent me 
information for a doctor local to me. I called that doctor like 630 in the next morning. Wasn't even open yet. It went right to his cell phone. He answered, hey, what's going on? Told him what the case was. He said, you come in here in 45 minutes. I'm going to take a look at you. We'll get you all. We'll get you treated. Wow. So I went in there. That dude's a hero. That guy is amazing. Amazing. And uh, I don't want to put him on blast, so I won't say his name. But when sure. he walked in the room, I was like, this is the doctor? This guy here? I mean, this guy looked like he just rolled out of bed in a cardboard box and nothing <laughs> against him. But, I mean, he just looked like a like a Grateful Dead kind of hippie, really long hair, yeah. had like a sweatband on. Hey, that's what you needed right then, though. That's what I needed because my, you know, my high up there uh, network doctor, she didn't want to do anything for me. So Exactly. Um, so uh, I told th- thank you to Br Brown for the the super chat. Really appreciate yeah, it. That's my. He brother. says God bless, and I'll, yeah. I'll transfer that to you. God bless you guys that are taking a stand. We need more people like you. Yeah, that's my that's my brother right there, my big brother. So oh, God nice. bless you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. Um, so you know he he gives me the I tell him the whole deal what happened with the doctor. He says, yeah, this is what I'm seeing. These network doctors, these hospital doctors, they're either being told that they can't treat you at all, or they're too scared to. And uh, he doesn't understand why. I mean, he had some theories, uh, you know, that they were kind of in the pocket of the administrators. And that's probably true. But uh, he gave me what he gave me. He gave me enough for my wife even. So she didn't have to go in. He told me you can't go to CVS to get this because they're not going to give it to you. I had to go to this separate pharmacy. And, you know, for all the talk that that Ivor is really, really cheap and affordable, it cost me a lot of money. Mm. It cost me $120 to get that prescription. But I tell you what, we started taking it. And the next day, the next day, I started feeling better. Now, I don't know. Was it the prednisone? Was it the Z-Pack? Was it that? Would I have gotten better anyway? I don't know. And I even questioned him about that. And he said, well, listen, here's the thing. You came in. You had symptoms. I gave you some treatment. Now you're feeling better. He's like, that's the end of the story. You know, he's like, as long as you're feeling better, you know, you could stop taking it. You know, you don't have to keep taking it. You know, if it comes back, you know, start taking it again. And that was it. That was the end of the story. I wound up losing my smell, you know, which was really, really weird. I lost that for about six days. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's the story. So I filed a complaint with my network doctor. They kicked me out of the network. <laughs> no shit. Well, yeah. I think I think this is actually the biggest scandal of the past two years is the early treatment protocols that they didn't allow people mm-hmm. to use. Uh, it's. I mean, it's like it's criminal I, I i don't understand how that was allowed i don't understand really why it was pushed i have my own thesis as mm-hmm. to why um and unfortunately i think my thesis involves you know not necessarily the company you work for but the industry you work for and mm-hmm. uh, i'm curious if you'd like to talk about that if you have any thesis that goes along those lines uh it it does seem to me that they wanted the v to be the only solution to what ailed us in the in the past two years and i don't understand for the life of me how they could possibly sacrifice that many people by refusing them early treatment that many many doctors knew about and many many were um you know willfully not prescribing what what do you think about that or do you want do you want to talk about i don't want to get you in trouble uh no listen i'm already getting fired you know what are you gonna do fire me harder I mean, fire me twice. They might Let's fire go. me sooner. They might fire me sooner. <laughs> but I won't even like delve into any kind of like quote unquote conspiracy theories. You know, I think uh, let's let's compare it to some other things that we know about. So flu. When you get the flu, there's plenty of treatment available to you. Plenty yeah. of treatment. All right. There's a long list of things that you can do. It's not just the V. Now that 
that is available. And if you want it, and there's a long history of data to go along with that. So I think for a lot of people, it seems like a much, um, much more logical option to have because there is a lot of long-term data. I mean, these things have been around, you know, right. longer than I've been alive probably. So, um, you know, when it comes to this one though, there just isn't any long-term data. So I think that's where a lot of people wind up getting scared. And, uh, you know, it, I think all roads lead to one solution there. And when all roads lead to one solution, it's always a little suspect. Um, there's usually, you know, they say follow the money. You know, if you follow the, the change of hands that the money goes through, you know, you start finding out that there are there's a lot of profit to be made. I mean, the government, the Department of Defense, they have they have given these companies like mine and other companies billions and billions of dollars just for this one. But they've given them billions and billions of dollars for all the other things too. Yellow right. fever, meningitis, flu, you know, all of these things. And um, in, a, in a lot of these cases, if not most or even, I would go to say almost all of these cases, you know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You want your government to stream money into projects that are worthwhile, right? So if the government's going to give $100 million to a company to say, hey, build this new facility that's going to be safer, it's going to be more efficient. So that way you can produce these things and they're going to be more effective and it could be available to more people. And especially if it's proven that these things are that they work and they're effective, then that's not a bad thing to me. That's a good thing. Now, I'm a fan of small government, but if any government exists, that's what they do. You know, they they represent us on a global scale for somewhat and they you know protect us from foreign threats. And, you know, and they help some of these kind of like uh, infrastructure type items like this, like what we're talking about. And I'm OK with that. But it's when you start forcing these things onto your citizens is when it becomes it becomes it becomes weird, to say the least. And, uh, you know, I'm a Ron Paul guy. I got I got Ron Paul up here. I don't know. Where's he at? Up here. You know, I'm a Ron <laughs> Paul guy. So I, I believe in small government and I believe in uh, a government for the people. And. You know, the problem is with our politics and with huge corporations like this, multinational corporations, especially, uh, there's a lot of money at play. There's a lot of power at play. And once you get that, and we've seen this the last two years, once you once you get a little bit of authority, a little bit of power, it's very, very hard to relinquish that back. And once there's a lot of money involved and, you know, you start being able to afford a nicer house and a yacht and go on vacation, you don't have to worry about gas prices. Well, a lot of people start looking the other way. And, um, you know, my company that I work for, Sanofi, is a lot of really, really amazing people that work there. You know, it's not I don't want to give this image that it's just like a bunch of nefarious scientists, you know, working on these black no. projects or whatever. That's not what it's like. It's a lot of really amazing people, a lot of smart people. Yeah, so I this is imagine. this is where, you know, I start questioning, you know, why are certain things being left out of the conversation through these past two years at my company. If I worked for, let's say, Arby's or Bur a more well-known one would be like Burger King or McDonald's, um, I would understand why my management was leaving parts of the conversation out like natural immunity and antibodies and like, you know, things that just make sense in the realm of viruses and, you know, and vaccines and what, and what that all entails. Cause it wouldn't be pertinent to your job. It wouldn't be pertinent to my job. They would know about like maybe 
e coli in the meat and like stuff like right, that and how right. to keep the meat cooked right and all of that but where i work is the literal experts of my area on this subject and when i was asking questions in 2020 about natural immunity my emails were being ignored when i was asking these questions at our all hands meeting at the end of last year i was saying you know they open they give this huge presentation about how the business did all of this stuff and how what our future looks like we're going to open the floor to questions we're really excited to answer your questions and i'm like the second question up and i go and, and mind you this is when they already announced the mandate coming through uh this following year so i say hey are we going to consider natural immunity for people who have proven to already had COVID and what they do. Well, time's up. We're not going to be able to get to all your questions, but we're going to answer those through email. So just, you know, no and shit. that was it. They cut it short right there. And these are people that I respected. These are people that, you know, some of these people were mentors to me in my 12 years in the come up in the, in the company here. And uh, it's just really saddens me to see that, you know, some of these people are kind of looking the other way on this stuff. And I get it. You know, if you're a director level, you're making you're making tons of money. You know, some of right. these people are making hundreds of thousands of dollars and uh, you don't want to lose that. You know, and if you got kids, you know, and you and they're in private school and you're used to a certain way of living, you know, how many people are going to be willing to speak up and sacrifice that? And I don't well, think a lot of them are, obviously, but there's there's several hundred of us who who are. Yeah. And and mind you all levels of the company. We're not just low level production employees, you know, you know, you got managers, you got deputy directors, you got people from all walks of life. And, and again, at this point, it doesn't even matter what the reason is. If they don't feel like it's right for them, or even some of these people consulted with their physicians and their physician said, I don't think this is right for you right now for X, Y, or Z. That's not even good enough. And I don't, I just don't agree with that. And, uh, well, I mean, I I, it, I I just think you're taking the the obvious correct stance here. It's like especially for the people that have doctors telling them, "No, nah, I don't think you should." And the the employer is like, "Well, you have to, or you can't eat anymore." It's like, "Well, this, who's who's wrong here?" It's obvious yeah. who's wrong. I I would say, um, as as gracious as you're being to the people that were your mentors that that you had a lot of respect for. I don't think I would respect those people very much if they're ignoring very obvious scientific questions like, hey, will you still be mandating this for people with natural immunity? Like what? I, I can't respect that. I can't respect people that would do that. And and I get your point. Yeah. I, and it's, it's well taken that they have their own families to look after and they're doing this for whatever reason. But to me, the, this has to be a top down dictate. This has to be coming from the very top. And to me, the fact that it's happening at so many corporations across the world tells me that it's coming from governments across the world and mm -hmm. you know Fauci NIH whoever whoever it is CDC whoever's actually dictating this from the very top those are the people that should be on trial right now like that's my personal opinion i'm not expecting yeah. you to agree, agree or anything but like i do agree fact, with you yeah yeah i mean the fact that they that they took it to this level that they have not only forced people coerced people you know, via their jobs to take a product from a big business, which is fascism 101. Like that's that 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 alone you should be on trial. But the the secondary and probably bigger factor, the fact that they withheld early treatment from people, I can't imagine 
how many lives were lost by these decisions. Like I like seriously. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's murder and it's mass murder. And, and I, I feel crazy that like, this isn't a, an openly discussed topic. Like the fact that I'm even concerned bringing it up on my own channel because it could possibly get me nuked. But look, I think it's the truth. And, and unless there's going to be open hearings to discover whether or not I'm correct in my assessment that thousands of people lost their lives needlessly because they withheld early treatment. Um, how am I supposed to ever have any faith in this government or the medical profession, anything again? Yeah. So, I mean, look, when I went to my physician uh, last year for a physical, I was there for an hour. I never even got a physical. She signed the paperwork because we were discussing this whole thing. And she's, you know, a young, a young girl, she's probably like in her twenties. Um, but uh, you know, staunch advocate for getting the V, right. you know, across the board for anybody. Yeah. So she said to me in our conversation, she said, you know, I think a lot of people who are against it just aren't really that educated on the topic. And I'm like, you know what? I agree to some degree. I actually agree well, with that. A, but no, it, of course. A lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, I said, um, you know, but how many people who come in here and just put their arm out don't ever even ask you one question i'm like so i think that goes for people who are getting getting it as well of and she course. stops and she goes you know what i never even thought of that she was like you're probably <laughs> the only patient of mine who has actually asked me anything about it <laughs> i'm like i'm like you think that maybe that's a problem yeah. I'm like, so that kind of goes both ways, right? So then I started asking her about this is when the um the natural immunity study had just come out of Israel and it was like the biggest one at that time. And I said, um, I said, what do you think about this study? You know, these natural immunity studies that are coming out, and you know, specifically this one out of Israel. And she goes, I've never heard of it. I said, So you're out here advocating for this thing hundred percent across the board for everybody, and you only got let's say half of the information. I'm like, so how can I, I'm coming to you as the authority. I'm putting my trust and my faith in you to give me all, like, to give me a decision based on your knowledge of all the information. I'm like, and you only have half the information, yet here you are, you're 100% for it. I'm like, do you see how that, that can become a problem and how people are losing faith in the medical field and in doctors and in, you know, big companies like mine and other companies, pharmaceutical companies. I'm like, this is how this starts. I mean, it, it's got to start with you. I'm like, if you're going to come out here, you know, being an advocate hundred percent, and then I come and ask you about studies and you tell me you've never even heard of them. Right. How the hell is that even possible? I'm like, and I don't know shit. So <laughs> I'm like, so how do I know about it? And you don't know about it. So she <laughs> said, you know what? I'm going to look into these. You're like, for sure. I'm going to look at them. She never looked at them. No. Because when I went back, you know, like I told the story before, you know, no treatments were going to be right for me. Nothing was available. And I think Peter McCullough said that he believes 80% of the deaths could have been avoided with early treatment. Yeah. I think that was the last number he said. That's crazy well, that's, to me. Yeah, no, I, and I, I won't even proffer a guess as to what percent could have been saved. But to to believe that no one could have been saved is obviously ludicrous. Like, had you been giving this treatment that that uh, Dr. Pierre Corey and others were recommending. Mm -hmm. um, I think we would have saved thousands of lives. I, I genuinely believe that. And I'm not going to stop saying it just because it's probably. Hey, look, if it would have saved one life, just one life, it would have hey. been worth it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I mean could, we, we were willing, ways. we, we were willing to destroy the economy to save one life. So, 
uh, why are we not allowed yeah. to do it to yeah. save one life with with uh you know treatment early on it, it's it's just heartbreaking and i i don't know i don't know how we we, we recover from it to be blunt like I, I will never personally trust the the medical profession the pharmaceutical industry again like mm -hmm. i won't yeah and 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 that's tragic you know because yeah, yeah. i I mean, I was already a skeptic and I probably would have been asking questions regardless, but now I'm like a full on skeptic, you know, yeah, where I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to trust anything at face value anymore because I no longer believe that you are actually looking after my best interest. First and foremost, it seems as if there's a conflict of interest, uh, you know, uh, for everybody that's involved in this process. And, and, uh, you know, maybe there always has been, and now we're just, our eyes have been open to it. I don't know, but it, it certainly seems as if the problem has increased over the past two years in ways that I don't know that we can actually bounce back from. Yeah. I mean, clearly we've been hyper-focused on this one issue for the last two years, right? It's just been right. forced down our throats. It's destroyed families, relationships, you know, it hasn't been easy for, you know, it, you know, personally speaking, just for my own situation, it hasn't been easy because not everybody in my family thinks the same way that I do, you know? And it's like, I, I have it in my own family. I love these people. You know, I love them yeah. to death. You know, I just don't want anybody to die and they don't want me to die. And it's just like, but people are seeing things from different viewpoints. Right. And, yeah. um, it's, it's hard to think about because, you know, personally, you know, when this was announced in November, I put on a really tough front to a lot of my coworkers and my family. Yeah, no big deal. I'll just go get another job. I'll go, you know, con do construction or whatever. I don't care, you know? And then in January, when I realized that, oh, they're still moving forward with this, even though Omicron has hit and we're seeing things kind of even out here, everything's leveling off. Um, I started getting really, really worried. Then I started really, really dwelling, really dwelling on it. And my wife caught me a couple of times just staring out into the distance. And she was just like, hey, what, what's going on with you? And it, it wasn't until she started pointing that out to me till I realized like, wow, this is having a huge effect on my mental health, like a huge effect on my mental health. Yeah, and this isn't not. easy. This isn't easy to talk about here. And uh, I'm not even sure if I should talk about it. But, you know, I realized that I was starting to deal with a level of stress and anxiety and depression that I have never felt in my life and frankly thought I was just too man to feel or never have to deal with, you know? And, um, you know, I decided, uh, well, I got to go talk to somebody. So I started talking to a therapist every week. You know, I did that Good for deal. about a month. And, um, after about a month, it, you know, I was feeling exactly the same. I was laying up, I would go to bed, let's say at midnight, I wouldn't actually fall asleep till about three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock yeah. in the morning. Cause I'm just staring at the ceiling just wondering what's going to happen. What, how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to pay my more? I just bought a brand new freaking truck, you know, like six months ago. It was like a freaking $700 a month payment, you know, like how the hell am I going to pay for this truck? How am I going to keep food on the table? How am I, my wife, uh, my wife is a full-time nursing student right now, you know? So we, right now we're only really working on one income right. and that's in jeopardy. So the effect that I can only imagine how this is affecting, you know, my coworkers and people who are in a similar situation, because I know how tough that I thought I was and how it ultimately started affecting me. Yep. And, you know, I decided like, hey, I need to take some time off here. So I, I actually used my some of my benefits that I pay into my company for the last 12 years to go out on some short term, just spend time focusing on one trying to focus because I was unable to focus for like more than five minutes at a time because I was mind you I was still going to work going to work working on projects and I enjoy what I do in my current position and I wasn't even able to like sit more than five ten minutes at a time 
before I would just start worrying about what's going to happen in these coming months. So I went out on short term and against my better judgment, instead of like taking a longer, um, a longer stint of, of short term, I said to myself, let me just take a month with the hope that in a month of being able to just talk to the therapist, being home with my family, just being able to figure this thing out, that I'll be good. Right. And here we are. We're st I'm still in the same position, you know. Now, I I put in for an extension, and they denied it. They said, "Well, we don't believe that uh, that this warrants you staying out on short term any longer." So now, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen now. Obviously, I'm going to appeal it because, I, you know, I'm in the same situation, and um, if I have to go back. I have to go back, but I'm losing my job in a few weeks anyway. So it's almost like, you know, what's the freaking point? What's the point for them to deny it, really? But um, so it's just hard, man. So that hasn't made things easier. And um, but I will say this. There is one silver lining that I could say in this whole entire process and going through this. Um, this has pushed me to God. This has brought me to let Jesus Christ into my life. You know, I was raised by a Jewish mother, an Irish Catholic father, both of them hippies. So we never were forced to do anything. You know, we didn't go to church. We didn't go to synagogue when we were younger. And um, I never thought that I would be here in this position where I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying on a daily basis multiple times. I'm having conversations with people like my older brother who's who's got his own long history of, of dark days and, and then getting out of them with the help of god and and jesus christ so if there is one silver lining in this whole thing this thing has pushed me to realize that i can't i couldn't get out of this on my own after a few weeks of doing therapy and being on short term and realizing like oh i'm still in some really really dark times here how the hell am i going to lift myself out of this and i just had an epiphany one night my older brother who donated got married uh in february you know and through that process um that was actually, I, I do video editing. So I edited his wedding video. So I had to listen to his speech over and over again. I had to listen to my speech that I gave over and over again with the music, you know, like the perfect music in the background. And I'm literally editing this video for hours, just crying, just yeah. weeping, you know? <laughs> and it hit me. I, I said, it. my brother was dealing with some of the darkest shit that he has ever dealt with, you know, in and out of prison, dealing with addictions. We got in a really bad car accident in 04, and he broke like – he had to relearn how to walk. I mean, this is a story for another time, but I saw him 12 years. He was battling these demons, these addictions and all of this, and he got out of it. And then I'm watching this video, and I'm going, this is how, man. This is how I could lift myself up out of this with the help of God or the help of Jesus Christ specifically for me. So the one silver lining is that, man. This has made me – realize that there's something greater and that maybe I don't have to carry all of the stress and all of the weight of this on my shoulders that, you know, there's something that could actually help me with that. And it's not, Beautiful. it's not smoking weed five times a day. It's not drinking every single night. It's not, you know, just falling into some other addiction, um, which I'm thankful that I haven't done, you know? So it's just, uh, it's been a blessing, man. It's really been a blessing. And I have my brother, Brian, I owe him the world for that. I went to church for the first time in my adult life with him a week ago. And uh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, church is not for everybody. And I think 
I went to Catholic church a couple times when I was a kid and that was, that was weird, but I was also a kid. So I didn't understand, sure. but this church was nice, man. The church with no borders in, um, uh, Medford, um, New Jersey, I believe it's in Medford. Um, uh, amazing people there. They already kind of knew me because they knew I was Brian's brother and they saw me in the wedding video and it was, everybody's coming up to me saying it was amazing. And, um, you know, so they start playing the music in the beginning and I'm like, wow, I'm like, you know, you see a lot of people like, they're really, really into it. I'm like, okay, that's a little strange. And I see other people who are just like more reserved and I'm like, all right, that seems more my speed. And then, um, I'm hearing my brother kind of singing under his breath a little bit. And then I'm fight, I'm fighting back the tears because it's starting to get to me. And then the, the pastor gives the whole sermon, right. And I'm fighting back the tears because everything is exactly what I need to hear about finding a family, you know, like a, kind of like a church to go to in my own town. Like it was just perfect. It was exactly what I needed. And then at the end, you know, we're going to close out with some more worship music, but we're going to have some people up here to help pray with you. If you need somebody to help you pray and this and that. And immediately when he said that, I felt it in my heart. Like I have to go up there and, and I have to ask these people to help me pray. Cause I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And um, I didn't do it right away because some lady went up there and she seemed like she really needed it. She was up there for a while. So then I wound up like almost not doing it. We were walking out and my brother stopped to talk to this uh, this lady that he knows. And while he's talking, I'm just playing the background. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just look in there and see if that lady's done and maybe I can go up there. And I look in and she's just walking away. And on the right there, there's uh, the pastor's wife. I can't remember her name. And this guy, Eric. And I go walk up to them. And I say, uh, I'm like, you know, I was just wondering if you could help me pray. And uh, she goes, yeah, what's going on? And I'm almost, I'm like fighting back the tears right now. She goes, and as soon as he said that, I just start crying, man, like uncontrollably bawling my eyes. I'm 38 years old. This is embarrassing to do this in public. And, um, you know, I, I slowly get the, <laughs> the strength to tell them everything I just told you, the whole position that I'm in with my family, what this means. And they start praying over me, man. And Eric's praying in one ear and she's just, you know, just verifying everything. Yes, Jesus. Yes, God. Thank you. You know, look over Mike, look over. His... And I'm crying. And not only that, my legs are shaking so much that they're about to buckle. And in that moment, I remember watching videos on YouTube of these people at church feeling the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit's been activated and they're like falling on the floor and they can't walk. And I'm not talking about like the fake evangel evangelicals are like, Touch your head and uh, Jesus is taking the gay out of you. And then all of a sudden they're like falling on the floor and they're straight and all this shit. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about people who like really seem like they were probably going through something, but I didn't believe it. I was like, that's bullshit, man. There's no way that's true. And in that moment, I realized, oh, these people are serious, man. Like this is what they felt. And I've yeah. never felt anything like that in my life, man. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, man, I never thought that I would be telling this story. You know, I never thought that I would be here in, in this part of my life talking to Jesus and God and reading the Bible. Never in my life thought that that would happen. And uh, I'm just so grateful for those for those folks who were who were there helping me pray and just looking out for me. And it was a it was love from strangers that I haven't even felt from my own friends, you know, most of my own friends and some of my family, you know, like yeah. it was just an undeniable, unconditional love that they were showing me. And it really did help me. It, it did put me at ease. You know, I'm still dealing with this situation with my employer. So that sucks and it's having its effect. But um, long story short, that's the silver lining, I guess, for me in this whole thing, man. man. I, I willed up just as you were telling me it, man. I, I'm not I'm not very religious myself, but I will say um, 
I know a lot of people that have turned to God over the past two years because unfortunately the world turned against many of us over the past two years. And, and I think that there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, just acknowledging that there are some things bigger than ourselves and, and asking for help when we need it. I think mm -hmm. it's really important. And therapy is not always the answer. I think sometimes it's the church and <clears throat> I'm just, I'm just thrilled that you found that I'm thrilled that, uh, you know, the weight that you had been carrying, I, I'm sure was extraordinary. And the fact that there was, as you said, strangers that were willing to help lift that off of you, even, even if it was temporary, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And, and I'm just, thank you for sharing it. It was, that, it was beautiful. It's amazing. And, you know, I owe that to my brother. I owe that to, um, my friend, John, he's another one. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for John because over the years and, and my friend, uh, Moses, um, which is a nice biblical name as well. But, um, you know, over the years, these guys, they've been like kind of planting seeds in my mind for like the past 10 years, but they weren't pushy with it. And I, and I know that that always drove me away. You know, if somebody was overly preachy and say, no, 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 this is the only way that you could do it. Right, you know? right, right. I would immediately shut them out and say, no, I'm not listening anymore to this. Even if <laughs> it's, I just, it's just like the vaccine mandate. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just like being forced. You know? If it's the only way that I'm not interested. Yeah, as if you force it upon me. So I, I'm grateful for those guys. Um, it's just, a, it, it really is something, man. I never thought that I would be here in this part of my life. And, and you know, I was just thinking about it this morning after you had messaged me and I realized that I was going to come on here and, and share my story with, with a larger audience than just my little circle. Right. It reminded me of somebody who I was friends with on Twitter, uh, somebody who was actually out in Australia. And I was thinking about how difficult this has been and how difficult it's been for, you know, my coworkers and just people all around the world dealing with the same thing. And uh, this guy said to me early on, this was like 2020. He said, listen, man, when it gets real tough, you're just going to go and get it. You're just going to buckle like everybody else. <laughs> and I said, dude, you don't know me, man. You don't know me. And that has sat in my mind <laughs> ever since that moment. And it's not the reason why I didn't go and do it, but it certainly helped remind me of who I am. And there is no way that when it really got tough, if I said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to go do it to keep my job because now things are hard. Now, now I'm, I don't know where I'm going to get my money to pay my mortgage. And, you know, now it's really tough. So it's so tough that I could fold on my own principles. I would never be able to look myself in the mirror again. I wouldn't even know who I, who I am. And, and trust me, man, this has been hard. This has of been course. hard, uh, you know, in my family, you know, not everything is, is rosy and everybody's in agreement. You know, it's, it's a lot to think about when you have a wife and you have a kid and uh, it's not just you, you know, if it was just me, I feel like it would be a, a far easier decision to make and to stick with, but because, uh, because they're involved and I have to think about, uh, think about them too. You know, it was it was a tough decision to to hold out and to just stick with my principles. But again, I knew, you know, when my son, he's he's eight years old now in 10 more years when he's 18 and he's he's able to completely understand everything that has happened in this time period. And he looks at me and he said, Dad, what would you do? What did how did you handle it? What were the things that you did? You know, what am I going to tell him, man? Well, when it got hard, I just folded. And then God forbid something happened. You know, God forbid I folded and then something happened, like there was a negative medical consequence that happened um, because I know people who folded. And and, and I want to say that in a bad sense, 
But there were people who, who got very recently got to the point where they were like, well, I'm just going to go do it because I can't lose this job right now. And one individual shared his story with us um, this past week. And, you know, he folded. I, 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 don't, I should stop saying he folded, but he he decided he made the decision that, all right, I'm just going to go through with it so I can keep my job. And he wound up getting hurt. He wound up getting hurt. And you don't hear about those stories as much internally in these types of companies. They don't have a problem using somebody who may have passed away, who decided not to go through with it. Right. They don't have a but, problem using but the them. Flip, the flip side is is not allowed. No, it's not allowed. And I've had I've had coworkers who passed away, um, people who I worked directly with, and some of them were facts, and some of them weren't. And again, it's just like one you don't know what their health situation is beyond that, but also it it doesn't matter. This was the decision that they made. They knew what the risk potentially could have been, and they they were happy with making that decision. And I think in most cases you go through it unscathed, at least in the short term. Right. I think a lot of people, they go through with it and they don't see anything. They don't, they don't like their arm doesn't hurt. They don't feel sick at all. And I think, and because so many people have, have uh, gotten it in a short amount of time, you know, it's uh, I think it's easier to for people to say like, well, so many people have gotten it and you know, nothing ever happened to them. It's like, yeah, there's so many people in a short amount of time, but they don't really talk about the other side of that, that coin there, you know, no. the other side of the story. And maybe we're, we're not me, allowed to, <laughs> well, it doesn't benefit their narrative and I'm guilty well, of this myself it. where you look for uh, confirmation bias, right? I'm only going to look at the articles that are going to prove that I'm right or that I agree with. And I've, I struggled with this, um, for, uh, for a long time, you know, especially through Trump's presidency, like, you know, and, and just the cabal and, you know, and governments and like all of this stuff and conspiracy theories, you know, it's like, you want to only gravitate towards the things that you agree with. And then also on top of that, you know, social media and, and big tech, they funnel you only the things that you agree with. Cause that's just the nature of these algorithms. It's like, well, you're looking at these things. You know, you're looking at these red topics. So I'm only going to show you the color red or you're looking at these blue. I'm only going to show you the color blue. And so that doesn't help. And then it becomes extremely difficult to have a normal conversation with somebody. So I had to really pump the brakes on watching too many videos or looking at too many articles because and I don't know about you, but when I think about this whole situation that's going on, you know, with these past two years, with like, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and just global uh, global politics, it becomes so overwhelming because it's really easy to realize it's out of your control. This monster is so big, there's nobody that can tame it. You know, when you got Nancy Pelosi, who's worth however many hundreds of millions of dollars on a $200,000 salary, you know, and she's allowed to trade whatever stock she wants. But if I were to tell you what was going on internally in my in my company and said, hey, now's a good time to go buy that Sanofi stock. You know, I could go to jail for that, you know, for insider trading or whatever you want to right. call it. So it's just like, you know, the double standard is real and it's overwhelming. And, uh, you know, when I start thinking about it too much, I start getting a little depressed, you know, oh, and yeah. so I have to. I got to stop, man. You know, I got to yeah. stop. I just got to like hang out with my son. I got to just do whatever. Come down here, even if it's like play a little video games or work on a video project or something like that, or 
just talk to somebody about something completely unrelated, um, you know, it's really easy to fall into some darkness. And uh, I think that's a lot of people, man. So to your point earlier, a lot of people have been pushed to religion because of this reason, you know, because it's, it's some dark times we're in. Oh, tremendously dark. I, it's <laughs> largely the focus of my show. So, you know, you know, I am, I am deep in it. And, um, you know, for me, it's a meditation practice that, that keeps me, you know, capable of kind of disconnecting and, and separating from my mind for a while so that I can let this stuff kind of play out. But, uh, let me, believe me when I tell you, you are, you are speaking for thousands of people that are listening to this right now that have faced the same you know, quandary where they have to decide whether they, stick with their principles or they you know cave and they go along mm-hmm. with what what has to be done to look after their family or whatever whatever justification they have for it mm-hmm. uh and i think that it's you know as you've said it's a personal choice and and whatever decision people make that's on them uh but i am i am very grateful for your story because it, first and foremost because you held strong to it and you're you're riding this thing to the end and hopefully you get a a last minute pardon from the warden so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, but it's just, you know, the, whatever decision you were to make, you know, even if at the last minute you were to decide to go out and get it, um, just, just sharing your story and letting people know that they aren't alone in this. I'm sure you felt alone, you know, during, during the period when you were trying to decide what you were going to do, especially as you said, they tried to isolate you and the, and your Mm -hmm. employer kind of made you feel as if, well, you're like the last holdout. You're like, you're the only cuckoo yeah. guy that, that won't get it. Um, I, I think that's been a huge uh, focus of my show for the past two years, or especially the past you know six months since the mandates got rolled out, is to let people know that they aren't alone. You know, there's hundreds of thousands, millions of us that are are holdouts that are trying to to maintain our principles, decide what's best for our families, and uh, you know, if we realize how many of us were out there i think we probably just stood up and stopped this thing so i i'm again thank you for sharing the story it was beautiful yeah yeah thank you for having me on i really appreciate it i think um you know not a lot of people are willing to help tell these stories you know because like you said i mean your, your channels could get nuked if somebody says the wrong thing so you start talking in abbreviations and code words and i might not be that good at it so i apologize <laughs> if i get you nuked it's all good, um man. but you know like at this point for a long time i was quiet about it you know through the beginning part of this year for a couple of reasons you know like one it was super depressing to think about um <laughs> also you know like i didn't want to lose my job in january because i spoke out about it yeah um but you know when i saw my coworker angela you know start hitting the news channels i went man that's bravery and i should have been that brave to begin with and uh, so, you know, that's why I'm here. I'm speaking for the 200 plus at Swiftwater, even more than that, you know, at the other sites. And like you said, globally, you know, millions of people. Bill, feel billions, like, probably globally. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, if you feel like you're alone in this fight, you're not. If you feel like um, when you bring it up that you're taking this stance and the people around you are making you feel like you're stupid or you're a conspiracy theorist, you're not. It's all right to have a a difference of opinion, even with the people that you love and that you're close with. I think it's healthy to have a difference of opinion. It's just a matter of how you go about resolving those conflicts, right? Like, so if you're yelling at each other, like if you and your spouse are barking at each other because you you have a difference of opinion on this thing, 
Well, you know what? Your outcomes are probably not going to be that great. We got to figure out ways to get back into talking to each other, but not just talking to each other, but listening to each other. And, you know, again, for a long time, I had trouble with this because I was just so like single tracked or, you know, you know, I had a single track mind where it was just like, no, 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 this is the right way. And whatever you say, like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, you know? And you know what? Maybe there's some times where I still, you know, I'm flawed with that, but I really have been trying to make an effort, especially with the people that I love to be understanding and to be open-minded, but also to convey, like when I feel like, okay, I'm taking this stance for a reason and I have these principles for a reason to try to be able to convey that in a way that hopefully they can understand without this conversation getting blown out of proportion and people getting heated. And it's not easy. I mean, these last two years have done a number on people and in longer than that, but specifically these last two years for me, it's been like since nine 11, but you know, for the last two years, a lot of people, you know, were just like, uh, you know, just we're looking the other way on a lot of stuff and these conversations weren't happening. And, you know, it's just done a number on people where they felt like, uh, now I got my information and it's the right information and whatever your information is, you must be getting that from some YouTuber or whatever, you know, like some faulty source. I get mine from Brian Stelter. Those are reliable sources. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like if that's where you're getting your information from, I'm not sure we, there is a conversation to be had with you. Yeah. Um, but we do have to get back into having conversations because I do know one thing and this goes for everything across the board. If we remove the ability to have conversation, the only thing you have left is physical action and violence. If we're not able to discuss things and come to some sort of agreements peacefully, then people are going to feel like the only option they have is to force it on somebody. And unfortunately, that's kind of where we're at. You know, our governments and our companies and our families have been really made to feel like they have the authority to force something on you when they don't. And they've removed the ability to have the conversation. So when people were getting their YouTube channels nuked in 2020 for saying things that are perfectly okay to say now, those people don't get their YouTube channels back. They don't get their followings back. They're forced to go to other outlets. And some of them just disappear altogether because that's all they had. All I knew was YouTube. And now I don't have a following anywhere else. So, you know, I feel for those people, especially. So the main thing people out there is one you're not alone, but also prepare yourself to listen and to listen to some things that you don't agree with. And then like, instead of just reacting, you know, um, especially with emotion, try to process maybe where that person's coming from and maybe ask some questions. So instead of just saying, no, you're wrong and you're wrong because of this, maybe you ask, well, how'd you come to that conclusion? Like, where do you place that in, in the bigger picture, you know, and like really try to dig deep and try to understand how somebody came to a conclusion because you don't know how they got there. And, and there may be some legitimate legitimacy there. I mean, I know just with me and my wife, we've had tons of conversations about this and there's been plenty of times where I thought I was just hundred percent right about something. And then she'll start sending me stuff and I go, yeah, didn't see that stuff. So, you know what, maybe I wasn't exactly right. And then there's some stuff that I know I'm right on and there's no way you're going to tell me that I'm wrong, you know, but um, this is this is where we're at, where we're at. And I think uh, the only way out of it is really through love and compassion and uh, just like being able to talk. If we're not able to have these conversations like we're having now, you know, like I don't know you personally, you know, this is the first time we're ever speaking. And I feel like I've known you 
for quite some time, man. It, like, <laughs> I just feel like, wow, we're able to have a conversation and, and we don't even necessarily agree on everything 100%. I think we agree on probably 98%. Right. But, you know, like where we place uh, maybe <clears throat> people's intentions, maybe we don't fully agree on some of that stuff, uh, you know, specifically with my company. But um, I'm, I'm also to... I'm more of an anarchist. You're more of a minarchist. That's that's OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but those are closer together than, you know, of course, than a lot of well, people. So and and uh, just to add to what you were saying, I think that what's one word that you left out of that is is humanity. Mm -hmm. um, we have lost our sense of humanity with our ideological opponents. And and it's tough because oftentimes, you know, when people are forcing something on you, the knee jerk reaction is to say, well, you're not treating me with respect and you have lost sight of my humanity. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to lose sight of yours and I'm just going to look at you as my enemy. And I struggle with this every single day. I, I really, really struggle with it because ultimately people are treating me like a second class citizen and some of them are cheering it on you know, wishing death upon me because I won't go along with their program. And it's like, well, that takes that takes some God level mercy and forgiveness to just mm -hmm. be like, OK, well, sure, you've said all this, all of this stuff for the past two years and you've you've treated me as if I'm a slave. You know, at least you've talked like I am one. And now you're my enemy and I don't want to live like that. I don't want to. Um, so I think that trying to see the humanity, even in the people that have treated us terribly, is vitally important. Um, if we ever expect to come together as a people and feel as if there is a, a community of man, once again, mm -hmm. we're going to have to get through this period and and try and and turn the other cheek. Um, and I think that, you know, even though I'm doing it without, you know, a, a traditional church, uh, I st I'm still using those lessons for sure. And uh, anyways, I, I just want to thank you again for sharing your story. I think, as I've said, it's going to touch a lot of people. Like it, it was a really powerful uh, way of conveying it. And I think that a lot of people, I hope, I hope some people from your work that think that you're a, a lunatic, listen to this. I honestly, like, I think it would, it would highlight your humanity and allow them to see, um, you know, the, the weight of their decisions and their, their silence, their advocacy, the things mm -hmm. that, that they have, basically allowed to transpire and allowed to occur to you and your family. And, and I hope that they can, um, they can see that there's, there's a path forward, but it's going to require us to talk and to support one another and to, uh, to believe in something higher. So I, I really appreciate your time, man. It, it, I don't know if you want to tell people where to follow you, but if you'd like to, please feel free. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would love that. Um, since I don't know what's going to happen, you know, uh, after next month, I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking for donations. I do video production and video editing. I've been doing that. I've been a creative person my whole life, but I've been focused on that the last two years. So people could find me on YouTube at Seymour Mac. You know, I don't use my real name online ever. I never did because I used to make music and it was always like a pseudonym. Yeah. Um, but Seymour Mac is actually my grandfather's name. And uh, I named my company after him. So at Seymour Mac on YouTube or Instagram underscore Seymour Mac and on Twitter underscore Seymour Mac or to my website, SeymourMac.com. And uh, if anybody does want to support me, hire me. You know, I don't want to I'm not looking for handouts. You know, I don't want to try to collect unemployment or anything like that. You know, I, I want to be able to do what I love and provide for my family for a long Perfect. time. That meant working for Sanofi. And it just doesn't seem like that's going to be possible in the future. So I, I am really passionate about video production and editing. Um, so reach out to me if you're interested, if you need anything done. 
I'll do any, I'll do anything in that realm. Um, so that's kind of where people can find me at. And I, again, Clint, I appreciate you so much, man. I hope that, uh, in a month when, uh, this thing is like kind of runs its course, if you want to have me back on, I can kind of give you an update and maybe I could speak a little more freely about some of the deeper (laughs) details. Um, we we may take that one to locals exclusive if we're going to get too, (laughs) too serious, but, uh, yeah. So everyone listening, please, if you have any video production projects, uh, it's S E Y M O U R M A C.com. Correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, reach out to him, hire this man, uh, you know, people that are living their principles and, and maintaining their principles in the face of tremendous coercion, uh, deserve our love and our support. So I hope that you will get some projects out of this that will hopefully, uh, help cushion you as you transition. If, if it's, if it's forced upon you, I, I'm still holding out hope yeah. that they will they will cave if there's enough people that refuse. But you never know. Um, let, let me also say one more thing. It is. In my experience, when you when you stand on principle and you pursue things with your whole heart and your passion, you will end up in a better place than you could possibly imagine. So I wouldn't be surprised if you end up making more money in, in not too much time uh, going the entrepreneur route. And, and I hope, I wish that for you. And I think that, uh, that people like you will make it, uh, through hell or high water. So hang in there, man. Yeah. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown. If you'd, uh, like to support the show, you can go to libertylockdown.locals.com and also hop over to the dad presents. He had an incredible stream with Ron Paul. I, I am so jealous. So I just wanted to give a plug to that. I got to watch it. It was really good. Uh, go to the Dad Presents, and uh, and his latest episode is with the great Dr. Ron Paul. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is what I love about doing this show. You never know where it's going to go. To interview someone that just talking about how they lost their job working for a vaccine manufacturer, and then you end up in a deep, beautiful discussion about God. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew that's where that would go? Uh, speaking of cancel culture, I'm going to be having on Roger Stone tomorrow, and... That one is going to be exclusively on my locals simply because there's no way I can possibly put it on YouTube. Uh, So please, if you enjoy the work I've been doing for you, if you've been listening for the two years I've been doing this show or nearly two years, a little value for value ask here. I am obviously sacrificing a ton of my time to do this. I do it out of the, the love of the game, but ultimately I would like to be able to grow the show in a normal fashion of having listeners that want to support my work and want to see this show grow and reach more ears. So if you have been enjoying my work, I would just ask that you go to libertylockdown.locals.com. You can become a supporting member at, I think it's five, 10 or $20 per month. So it's not a ton of money. Uh, But if I get a couple hundred people that do that, then I can start to run ads on say Tom Woods or part of the problem and things of that nature to try and get the word out. Just let more people know about what I'm doing and the people I'm having on. If you appreciate what I'm doing, that's the best way to do it. And you'll get to see my exclusive interview with Roger Stone, which will be insane. Go to libertylockdown.locals.com and become a supporting member of the show. I really appreciate everybody who has already done so. It is helping tremendously. And I will be doing an AMA next week where you get to actually come on stream with me to ask me any question you'd like. Silly, serious, whatever you want to do. Lastly, I will be having a one-hour interview with 
a Libertarian Party candidate out of Arizona. And as I've already explained in the intro, I kind of uh, go hard at him a little bit. Not not terribly hard, but I wanted to push back. I want candidates that will actually reflect the gravity of the moment that we find ourselves in. So if you're interested in that, feel free to continue listening. And if you're not interested in it, you can just skip the rest of it. It's your call. Uh, I know some people hate it when shows have on Libertarian Party candidates. And if you are one of those people, just skip it. Don't don't yell at me. Just skip it. And if you are interested in hearing what he has to say and, and seeing what I think Libertarian Party candidates ought to be pushing, well, then this is your opportunity to, to hear that too. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to another live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. And today I am joined by a candidate for Congress in Arizona. His name is Jeff Metrick. He is a, uh, a veteran. And I'll let you give a little bit of your backstory so people know who, who we're talking to and why they should be listening. All right. Well, as Clint said, my name is Jeff Metrick. I did four years in the Army. I have an undergrad degree in political science, history, and economics. I was born and raised on a farm in southern Illinois. I moved to Chicago, lived there for seven years after about 2013, 2020, then I moved out to Arizona. This is, has to be the best state I've ever lived in. The government is actually somewhat competent, not completely, but somewhat competent, and the weather's just beautiful out here. It's dry. I don't have to worry about being sweaty all the time. So it's just beautiful. I loved it so much. I'm running for Congress out here. Nice. Well, what's your what's your background in the military? Um, I was a 96 Romeo, which is a ground surveillance radar operator. That job no longer exists. They actually got rid of it in 2006 when I got out. Uh, were you deployed at all? Um, I spent a year in Korea. And since in 2002 and 2003, that was considered a combat deployment. I got to go to the NTC after that, and I did the last two and a half years at the NTC training people to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. Gotcha. Well, um, the reason that we're we're doing this interview is I was, you know, your campaign manager, Bruce, uh, reached out to a bunch of the libertarian people. He said that, you know, walk, walk the talk and, and have some uh, candidates on. So that's what I'm doing. And I, I wanted to essentially, uh, I saw an interview that you had given with someone in Arizona. I believe it was kind of like a, a local reporter type character. I'm not sure. Yes. It was press steady news. Okay. Um, and I felt like it was a bit of a softball interview. He was, he was very, he was very kind to you. And, and I think that that's, you know, that's totally fair. You're going to encounter some of that for sure. But I figured if I'm going to do this, I want to make sure that I am, I am being critical of the libertarian candidates that are coming out because I think that this is a, a moment in time that we need people to be as sharp as humanly possible so uh, just I'm telling this not just for your sake, but for the audience's sake that I'm going to come across as being overly antagonistic. But I, it's not that, you know, I'm sure you and I would probably see eye to eye on 99 percent of topics. But um, this yeah. is more of like a kind of like a coaching session in a way in that I'm trying to make sure that whoever is running for office is, uh, you know, capitalizing on the opportunity that they have in front of them. And I'm I'm sure with your military experience, this will not be a problem for you. So uh First off, I'd like to know, you know, what what inspired you to run this go around? And, you know, you haven't ever had any political experience in the background or in the in the past, I assume, right? Nope. This is my first office run. Okay. And I decided to go and, after the big ticket item. And and, and why are you doing it? What's the what's the reason for the moment? The reason for the moment is, is this country is so divided right now. And it's actually very sad that we've allowed ourselves to become so tribalized and I just see an opportunity for people who want live and let live, who want to just be able to live your life, be your iron-fisted dictator in your life, Clint. 
but don't impose that upon anyone else's. And the country, my state, my district, they're hungry for this message because I drive Uber. I have people from all over the country get in my car. And we talk about this, ask them what they do, you know, just pleasantries. I might tell them, like, my belief in the live and let live, that the government really needs to be out of 99% of what it does in our lives. They're actually like, that makes sense. They're like, I want to live my own life. I don't want to be held by the hand when I don't need it. Because I've, like, I'll give you an example here in Arizona. We have 14 dependent sovereign nations, First Nations. Why, why do we have the term dependent and sovereign in the same, in the same sense to describe something? Because you can't be both. You have to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. And that's always been my thing is like, and I'm getting a little off topic and I, I want to apologize for that, Clint. Okay. But I really got into it because I'm just tired. I'm tired of seeing both parties not take responsibility for their own shit. Republicans mm-hmm. do it, they blame Democrats. Democrats do it, blame Republicans. No, we're $30 trillion in debt. Social Security is going to be bankrupt before 2030, most likely. We have a hundred plus trillion in unfunded liabilities coming and both parties are responsible for it, but they want to blame each other. And they think the American public is stupid. The American public is not stupid. The American public is getting smarter by the minute. Well, I, I think that a lot of people are waking up. I'll, I'll grant you that. I, I'm not, I'm not sure that enough are, uh, I think if the, enough were, you know, you would probably be having this interview on ABC and not on yeah. lockdown, you know, like, we, we absolutely need candidates that understand the the gravity of the moment and the situation that we're in. Um, I didn't hear in any of this a mention of lockdowns or the potential for World War III, given your, your military experience. I'm surprised that that uh, isn't included in your list of reasons for running. I know it's kind of a, it's a new development, but it looks it looks pretty, pretty damn it's scary a, It's to a me. new development, but it's still, it still is covered under live and let live. It's like, we don't need to be involved in anything. We need to trade with countries. We want regime change. You don't do it at the barrel of a gun. You do it with the pocketbooks. That's how you get regime change. Look at China's a good example of that. Africa has resources that China wants. China's hungry for them. China pays people for them and says, we don't really care what you do. You have what we want. That's why they're, that's why they're doing so well in Africa and getting ahead of us in that respect. Right. Well, I mean, I, I obviously I agree with with trading with other countries to try and get what we want in terms of political uh, items. But I, I just want to make sure that you're not saying that we should be using the pocketbook in terms of the sanctions that we're using on Russia. No, uh, sanctions are an act of war as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Well, that's sanctions are a hear. huge act of war because look at what happened. Madeleine Albright died last week or this week, something. And she was responsible, she even admitted, for about 500,000 children dying during the 90s in Iraq because of the sanctions we imposed on him. It didn't right. impact him. It impacts the people every day on the street. They're just living their lives. They don't, they don't have a real dog in this fight. This is just, I'm going to be perfectly honest, this is a gigantic pissing match between Russia and the Ukraine. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And people are getting hurt, killed, and dying every day. Well, I, I wish it were that simple. I think it's it's more a proxy war and it's a pissing match between the U.S. government and the Russian government. But oh, I take your point. Yeah, there's huge history that goes back there. Like we go back to 2014. Crimea has never historically been Ukrainian. It's been Russian. It was conquered in the 1740s from the Crimean Tartars by Russia. It didn't go back. To, it didn't go to the Ukraine until 1953 under Nikita Khrushchev 
because Khrushchev was Ukrainian. He wasn't Russian. He was Ukrainian. He wanted to give it back to the Ukrainian people. Great, cool. But it's always historically been Russian. You had the Eastern breakaway regions where the election was valid and they want to join Russia. That's fine, cool, whatever. It's not, it's, it really doesn't concern America. That's a strictly their matter that they have to deal with. And then you go into 2014 as well. We kind of astroturfed the game show host that is now president of Ukraine. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. We took a pro-Russian person because we didn't like it. And we put him in power. And you go back to the end of the Cold War, we made a deal with Russia. Because when Germany was about to be reunified, Russia said, we don't want to reunify Germany. That scares us. Because what happened when you had a unified Germany? They killed millions of Russian citizens. Right. So what well, we did is we said, you allow the reunification in Germany, we'll put, we'll allow NATO to go into Germany, and we'll move NATO no further east. And then we gradually began encroaching upon Russia. Now, people are going to say that's Russian propaganda, whatever, but it's historical and it's factual. Yep. That's the thing. Propaganda is not historical or factual. It's made yep. up. Well, I love it, man. That, that's that's good to hear because uh, I think that that's probably the biggest thing that we need Congress people to understand is, you know, you're, you're going to have a huge amount of turnover in the House uh, this fall. Uh, obviously, I hope someone like you is is in there for us, but uh, whoever is in there needs to be anti-World War III because <laughs> yeah. I, I think that there's a, a tremendous push propagandistically as well as militarily that from the media everyone's trying to you know play the tough guy and and unfortunately mm -hmm. that is still it's a popular political position to take so i just want to be i wanted to be sure that uh, that you view this similarly and that you understand you know that is a, that is a non-starter for us because I, I i think that any libertarian candidate needs to be uh at, at a minimum extremely anti-intervention whether or not you're completely anti-war uh but anti-intervention in this situation it could result in nuclear holocaust so i think that this is a very important time to be on the same page and it's, for me, I'm actually more along the lines of Jacksonsonian and Jeffersonian in my terms of international relations. I'm not a Wilsonsonian. Mm -hmm. Wilsonsonian believes in democracy, self-determination, yet we don't really follow that with Eastern Ukraine, the breakaway republics in Georgia. We don't follow that. But Jacksonsonian and Jeffersonian, Jeffersonian was free trade and travel law and tangling alliances with none. Jacksonsonian really came about after the end of the War of 1812. With you bring the noise, we're going to shut it down, but we're not going to go over there to bring you to bring noise to you. Right. And we've really lost that, and it's not conducive to actually having conversations, because everything ultimately in this world is a negotiation. It's all negotiating at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, from a, a <clears throat> congressional point of view, you know, I don't know that we like we will even have a vote for for us intervention in this situation because it seems as if uh the war powers have been moved to the executive having presidents and, oh go ahead and that needs to change the president i understand that they can deploy for like they should the president should be able to deploy troops for no more than 60 days because sometimes congress can't make a decision and that's a problem but at the end of 60 days congress we need to hold ourselves accountable is this war is this police action worth blood and treasure? Because most people in Congress have never been to war, don't know what it's like, never served the military. They've been career politicians for 30, 40, 50 years. 
they want to go to war because they think it looks good, sound bites are great. But it's not. It costs lives. And lives are something that are very precious. Yeah. No, it, it believe me, the, this is probably the biggest the biggest topic for me now, given that the lockdown seemed to be ending. But I do want to take a step back and, and ask you what you think about the lock lockdowns, the COVID response. Um, obviously, with the show being named Liberty Lockdown, you can already assume my position on this. But yeah, uh, you know, is was that at all a catalyst for your interest in running? It was. I'm gonna have to be. It was a little bit because I believe very much that if a company says we need, we want you to wear a mask, we as consumers can say we don't want to shop with your store, we don't want to shop with your company. But it's not the business of the government to do that because the government inherently, when they take power. We know this throughout history. They inherently don't want to give it back. They want to keep it. Yeah. And it should be, and the government has no business, at least for me personally, regulating how businesses interact with customers as long as they're not defrauding them, poisoning them, any of that stuff. Yeah. Let businesses make their own decisions. Let businesses decide if they want to be successful or not. If they decide to do something that people don't like, one of two things has to happen in a market economy. They either change or they go out of business. Right. And that's the bottom line is let yeah. people choose. I'm about giving people choice. I want you to choose. Do you want to get a vaccine? Great. If you don't, cool. But you shouldn't have restrictions put on you if you don't want to get a vaccine. Like now they're talking about, this just came out today. They're talking about a vaccine that can be spread to other people. That is medicating someone against their will without their consent. That's a big problem. I would be against anything getting approved on that because you do not have the right to medicate someone against their consent. No. Bingo. Good. Good to hear, man. Uh, I mean, this is this is my biggest concern is that, you know, we have a bunch of politicians that are in power right now that have essentially either openly advocated for the elimination of bodily autonomy and our own, you know, right to choose, uh, or they've sat silently and they haven't, they haven't stood up for people's rights in this moment. Um, you know, this is kind of our, the civil rights era, you know, like this is our civil rights fight is bodily autonomy. And I, I wouldn't have ever expected it to be an issue, but, uh, under the, the pretext of collectivism and, and trying to minimize risk for the collective, the individual seems to have been left in the dustbin of history. It's like they they are not concerned. If if you don't want to get it, that should be your right. I think that's the American way. And that, that would have been a given throughout all of my life up until two years ago. Uh, yep. So I just want to make sure that, that's, that you see this as severely or as seriously as I do. I do. I see it as seriously as you do. And even going further on to body autonomy is... Like we see the, this uh, this heartbeat bill in Texas and this this other things, that's the state being involved in it. I actually have a very simple solution: create a private charity to fund it that takes the taxpayer off the hook for it. Then once the taxpayer's off the hook, the state has no more say in it. Mm -hmm. And then it's between the the doctor, the patient, and whatever god or deity they believe in, if they even believe in one. Sure. So you're you're more of a pro-choice but moreover just getting the go government out of involvement entirely yeah the government has no place in it because when you look back to like bell v virginia in i think it was 1932 justice blackstone actually said 
about forced sterilizations, three generations of imbeciles is enough. What gives the what gives the government any real power to determine who is mentally handicapped? Because what is a mental handicap? Is someone with autism mentally handicapped? Someone with Asperger's? I, I kind of suffer from that a little bit. So I have certain tendencies that it's like, okay, and I don't do well with real abrupt change. But well, you're a libertarian, so of course you, you have uh, some level of Asperger's. <laughs> yeah. But see, that's the thing. It's like the government doesn't need to be making medical decisions. I'm also a veteran. I've been through the VA. That's a, that's a nightmare. The LP has taken the position that of being pro-choice, uh, there is a huge element, and I personally, I am not uh, hard in one camp one way or the other, but there is an element that says that the, the body of the fetus is, in fact, a human life and that it should be protected by the state uh, and that you know it's essentially murder. Uh, it sounds as if you're you're just wanting the government not to not to weigh in on this topic. Is that correct? Yes, because what defines life? Is it conscious? Is it aware of its own self? Sure. What do we? We don't have these definitions because if a fetus is technically life, then someone in a vegetative state with no higher brain functions are they alive? And we, we don't answer these questions. We just glance over them, gloss over them, tap dance around them. But that's the real core of the issue. When it comes well, to it that is, is... Yeah, it is, it is for some people, but it's also, um, you know, for, some, for others, they would say, well, of course, someone in a vegetative, vegetative state is still alive. And, and also the, the fetus is as well. I, I personally fall in the camp of like, if, if the uh, fetus is viable, you know, if it's at, say, five months, uh, that it, it should probably be constituted as murder if you were to abort at that point because it can it could function outside of the womb. And I think that there's a fair argument to be had there. I still don't take a firm stance simply because I don't trust the government to to handle this issue. So um, yeah, exactly. I would rather not be involved at all. I'm the same way, Clint. That's why I want the state out of it because it does let people make their own decisions. They have to deal with it on their conscience. They have to answer right. for it ultimately. If they believe in a God, they have to answer. And it also goes into, I'm 100% on board with gay marriage because that was one of the founding principles in our party. We we're the first major party to come out and say that, and that was in the early 70s. It took mm -hmm. until 2010 for the Democrats to get on board, and now Republicans are starting to get on board. We were ahead of it by 30, 40 years. Yeah, but we get no credit for it. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, well, and I, I assume you take the same position on the war, war on drugs is that, you know, that's bodily autonomy. You should have the right to ingest whatever you want, as long as you're not hurting others. Yep. I, I, for the decri I'm for the decriminalization of marijuana, remove it as a schedule one narcotic, because that is a bridge that is achievable right now. Doing any other hard drugs, that's a bridge too far right now. The deep, I don't believe the American public is ready for it yet. And we oh, can't necessarily pull them to where we want them to be, we have to understand that as a group, people become panicky, scared creatures when you have abrupt change. When you have a system you've known for 30, 40, 50 years, and then you try to wholesale change it, people revolt against that. Because well, we have- I, No, I, I understand the, the uh, you know, kind of the, the middle ground approach where you, you, you take steps towards legalization and things like that. But I think from a libertarian perspective, um, you know, essentially what you would be saying in that moment is that 
nonviolent drug users of XYZ drug still should be in prison. That I mean, that's that's no. what that's what your opponents would be saying to you. So I just I need to make sure that yeah. you're that's what my opponents familiar. would be saying, and that is a straw man argument. I'm not I'm saying if they're nonviolent, yes, don't put them in jail, remove those laws from the books, but that's still removing it as a schedule one narcotic is still maybe a step too far right now. Maybe in two years, four years, it'll become more palatable to the American public. Okay. So it's just not going to be something that you run on, but you would still like to get it there eventually. Yes. Okay. Because it's not a key issue in my district right now. The Colorado River water drying up is a key issue. Immigration is a key issue. Inflation being 10.9% in Phoenix right now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's a disaster. So yeah. that that's another area that, you know, based off of the original, uh, you know, what's it called? The planks of the LP is that we are advocate for open borders. I would imagine that's extremely unpopular in Arizona. Is that true? Yes. People, how, people how are you in handling Arizona, that? say that again. I was just saying, how are you going to handle that? I would actually have it set up like I talked on Prescott E-News. And that's a very, that's very, that skews very conservative is you have to, you have to shut the border down for right now because we have a humanitarian crisis in the detention centers. We can't get around that. So we close the border down temporarily, process everyone in the detention center, make sure they're not wanted felons in their home countries. And then they get a resident alien card a year and a half to learn the constitution and at least be conversational. You know what I mean? You can have a thick accent, but just be conversational. And then you say, then you don't commit a victim crime, which is robbery, murder, theft, or sure. any of that. For two years or two and a half years, the numbers can be massaged out. Then you report, you report to a judge or an immigration office, and you decide at that point whether you want to be a U.S. citizen, which I hope you would, because you see how great the freedom is that we have that we're starting to build back in terms of our freedoms, our liberties. You'd want to stay. But if you want to go back to your home country, we wish you nothing but the best. Mm -hmm. And it really removes a lot of, and then you have an Ellis Island approach to immigration and the border. Okay. You use advanced surveillance to patrol parts of the border that are just really inhospitable because... If people do cross there, yeah, they may, they may get injured, and we have a we have a responsibility to help them as a fellow human. But if you come through a legal immigration point, you go through the same process that the first group went through, and you become a citizen if you want, because that's going to build the economy from the ground up, and it won't be from the top down with government doing it. Because government's failed miserably at building an economy. No central yeah. top-down planning has ever worked in the history of the world. Well, they, they did a great job of destroying the economy over the past two years. I, I think that this is this is probably the, the main reason that I wanted to have you on is that I wanted to make sure that you know you are you are approaching this your your campaign in a in a manner that actually reaches the people because in, in my opinion, I think that the the Republicans and the Democrats failed the American people as well as the LP failed the American people when it came to mm -hmm. fighting, fighting lockdowns and fi fighting the micromanaging of our lives over the past two years. And I think that if you're going to find someone who's willing to vote for a libertarian, someone who hasn't voted for the libertarians in the past, it's very probable it's going to be someone who absolutely despised the COVID regime. 
And yep, and that's that, a lot I, of what I think my that should be a focus. Did. A lot of my district did despise it. Like there were businesses that said, "We're not going to follow this mask mandate." In my district, they said, "Nope, we're not doing it." And uh, those were the businesses I patronized. Right. Yeah. So, no, I, I'm I'm sure there's there was a few in Arizona. Um, you know, I fled from California to Florida to try and get to be closer to people that are like me that are willing to to stand up against this insanity. Um, and I think that if we're going to have any any chance of having libertarian candidates that receive or become electable, uh, this is our opportunity. And and I feel like the the LP as a whole failed terribly to message to those people because. As I told Dave Smith on my show last week, you don't market to someone who just bought a home. You market to someone who just sold theirs. And and by home, I mean the party that they espoused prior. You know, like you have so many millions of people that have basically feel homeless. You know, they've they've yeah. abandoned their party and and rightfully so because they were abandoned by their party. Um, so I'm just making sure that, you know, you're going to reach out to those people. And, and I know you've talked about building coalitions. I think that's the coalition that's actually a winning opportunity is to have a coalition of people that, that believe in bodily autonomy and and are anti-lockdowns. Yeah. And I have a lot of feel, like I said, I've met people across this country driving Uber that actually agree with that. And I've had people from Seattle that go, wait, I like that. And that's something neat because I'm not, because I used to lead with my message, I'm a libertarian running for Congress. Now I lead with live and let live, which is really truly what I believe. Yeah. And, and it's just, and it's so much better for me because I love live and let live. There's a website, liveandletlive.org, and it's actually one of the world largest, world's largest live and let live and peace movements. They have chapters in Poland. Uh, most of Europe, Malaysia, they have chapters all over the world. And it's just a phenomenal organization. And actually, a senatorial candidate here in Arizona who's running as a libertarian, Mark J. Victor, is actually the founder of it. And I've actually met with him and talked to him. And that's something I've really started to believe. I believed it before, but I didn't really have a way to really like coalesce it and make it actually marketable. Yeah. So, well, I think that Live and Let Live is, is a obviously that's what the vast majority of Americans, especially the anti, you know, COVID hysteria folks want, you know, they want yeah. to live and they want to let other people live how they see fit. And they don't want to have dictates from, you know, governors and, and from the federal level that tell them what they can do. Um, it's, you know, unfortunately we've gotten very far away from that. I, my concern with, with trying to sell people with kind of a, um, I don't know. I don't know what the term is for it, but live and let live. It doesn't really connect the dots from just I want to be left the fuck alone, <laughs> and and also I want people to be able to do what they want. And the reason that this message is important right now is because the government has encroached upon our ability to do so. And I'm yes, just, it has. I'm, yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's actually when I talk about it, how I actually phrase it is, I'm like. You have a right to make any decision you want with your body. Like I said before, Clint, you, you're the iron-fisted dictator of your life. You don't have a right to do that to anyone else. And it applies all the way down from the smallest group, from two people, all the way up corporations, and finally government. Mm -hmm. It runs the entire gambit. And when you explain to people like really what it is, because I kind of try to be plain spoken. I may throw in some economic terms every once in a while, like M2. 
But I try to explain it to people because a lot of people don't know what that means. Right. And that's my main thing is just, I want to get this message just, I want you to live your life, do what you want as long as you don't hurt other people. Just let it go. That's an overriding principle. It's a non-aggression principle in all actuality. It just puts it in a different word that people know, oh, live and let live. I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it is. And when you talk about it in such a way that it that is, puts people, you say, what does it mean for you? That brings people in. They open up more because you're doing WIIFM for them. You know what that is? I do not. What's in it for me? That's everyone's favorite radio station. Okay. <laughs> you ask them that question is what's in it for them. They want to respond. Right. Well, unfortunately, many libertarians in the LP, um, those that I do not see eye to eye with, have basically argued that because not being vaccinated could hurt others, that that has, had been the argument. Obviously, the latest science is proving that that ultimately doesn't really change the dynamic. Uh, you can still spread it. So, uh, but they they did argue in favor of mandates and of you know businesses being allowed that's to stupid. mandate it. Okay, good, good to hear. That that's completely <laughs> stupid because here's the thing: me, you, and twenty other people in a room. Someone catches COVID. I'm unvaccinated. Prove it was me. Scientifically, prove that I was that vector agent for it. You can't do it. Yeah, no, you can't. So then what's the point of mandates? If you can't do it and prove it, you're just you're just grandstanding and wanting to try to say, look, we care about people. No, we actually you actually don't care about people. You care about protecting your own egos. Yeah. And controlling others. Yeah. Which is extremely bothersome. I, I did want to push back a little bit on on when you said that the the president or the executive branch should have the right for 60 days of conflict. Uh, obviously, that had been the the pretext for many of our wars over the past 20 years since the Patriot Act and everything got rolled out. Um, I do, obviously, I, I agree with you that in in a in a period of, of serious crisis where, like, say, we're about to be attacked, actually, uh, that you would probably want the executive branch to have that right. Unfortunately, they have utilized it for intervention and, and they mm-hmm. have, you know, said that, oh, well, WMDs or whatever. And they use that as the pretext. And then after those 60 days, Congress ends up just, you know, kicking the can and it ends up never being a declared war. We haven't had a declared war in forever. Um, so how can, yeah. So how, how can we actually keep that on the books and, and rein in the executive branch? It seems to me that they've already proven that they, they should not have that power. But see, it doesn't matter which executive is in charge, whether it's a DRNR, and therein lies the pro- therein lies the problem, is because Congress will rubber stamp because they're so they're so buddy buddy. It's very incestuous. They'll just rubber stamp it anyway. There won't be any real debate about it. They'll be like, oh, we just need to do it. We've lost these many people so far. That's a sunk cost fallacy. Right. Congress needs to step back. We control the purse strings. That's what Congress seems to fail to remember. Is we control the purse strings, not the president. The president proposes a budget. We can go, no, that's six trillion. No, that's too far. You are doing way too much, and we're not going to do it. We need as congressmen to step up and exercise our check on the presidency. We don't. Congress is incredibly lazy in all aspects. They don't want to. They don't want to take the time to do their due diligence. 
I would actually be for actually sitting down with lawyers in Congress and go through all the laws on the books, find the ones that don't serve a purpose. Like in Atlanta, I think it's illegal to tie a giraffe to a light post. That's still on the books. We sure. need to get rid of laws that are on the books that no longer serve a purpose because when we do that, we take the government from having an enforcement ability of them for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, we need I, to do, we need to, Congress needs to step up and that's what both parties have failed to do. That's why I'm running. That's why Chase is running. That's why Mark's running. That's why Bull is running out of Minnesota. That's why Alden's running because we need to step up and go, no, we need to check the executive, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. Neither party, they they basically are controlled opposition for each other. They're like, oh, we're against this, but no, we're still going to approve it anyway. Yeah. Because we don't want to, we don't want to stand on principle. We don't want to say, I don't believe in this intervention. We've lost lives and we have no appreciable gain for it. What's our overall strategic objective? Explain a strategic objective that benefits Americans. Well, and if you I can't, like... we bring the troops home. We cut the, we take the losses, and we bring them home. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would love that for, for I would love for that to be the case. Obviously, the uh, the the vast majority, I'd say probably ninety eight percent of Congress is completely worthless in regard. We need a complete revolution when it comes to you know the people that are actually in power. If, if we have any chance of, I guess, patching the Titanic. At this point, I'm 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 not a collapsitarian in the sense that I want to see things collapse, but moreover, I think that it's going to collapse inevitably, at least on a on a financial level. Um, you know, the ramifications of what we're doing in terms of the the sanctions on Russia pushing them and numerous other countries that are on our no no list to use other currencies other than the U.S. dollar. It seems as if the dollar's reserve currency status is under serious threat. And obviously, as a libertarian, I don't care much about that other than the fact that it's going to damage me and my people economically very severely. And I feel like we are we are you know, jeopardizing our people and our position in the world unnecessarily. Uh, is that something that as a congressman you would be able to address in any meaningful fashion? Um, I would be against sanctions, but the reserve currency of the world, that is individual countries making decisions. You look at Saudi Arabia selling oil to China. They're going to use Chinese currency. You have this going on. And China is an industrial powerhouse. They have a voracious appetite for raw resources. And it's like, ultimately, when you have a fiat currency system like we have, you ultimately, there's no real value. So the money is going to go down and it's going to be a shock. Because we actually need to go in and look at how the federal government runs things. Phenomenal example is food stamps. I would actually be for cutting 90% of the bureaucrats that are in the FDA. Not 80 to 90%. Get rid of redundancies. Start running it like a business. Get rid of redundancies. When companies merge, if they have redundant employees, someone's fired. And take that money, that budget money, that millions and millions and millions of dollars that go to personnel every year and give it directly to food banks in every state to where people who are out actually putting food in people's cars, putting food on the table, instead of having to jump through all these hoops just to get something to eat. How is that compassionate and how is that fiscally responsible? And that's what I'm calling both parties out on. You can't claim... Oh. 
the mantle of moral superiority and fiscal responsibility, but you want to cut programs without a replacement for them, then you can't say you want to be morally responsible like a Democrat does, like it's a moral good to do this, when you want to keep in it just, sorry about that, I had a call pop up. Okay, no problem. But just everything going on, we need to come and figure out how to trim it down. We have a very bloated budget. The $6 trillion is just showing what it is. The income tax you pay, the income tax I pay, barely covers the interest on the national debt, and we keep adding more to it every year. Yeah, well. How, I, do, we, how do we sustain this? Like, this is the well, thing that, people that's, don't that's understand. That's my position. And people that's my are, position. And both parties don't want to have this conversation. No, I, you're Social right. Social Security and, is going to be is going to be bankrupt. And Social Security, I'm going to say this now for everyone in the even in the back. Social Security is a Ponzi scheme. Yep. It's a Ponzi scheme at the end of the day. New investors pay out old investors. That's exactly what a Ponzi scheme is. And that's all it is. So what we need to do and I actually have a very interesting idea is if you're 50 or older, we're going we're gonna to figure out how to fund it for you because you're really late into the game to start your investments. But mm. if you're 50 and under, you got time. I know people that are my age. I'm 38. I know people that I'm a pretty conservative investor. Sometimes I get a little wild with it. But I know people that are insanely aggressive that are my age. And it's just they're willing to deal with the risk because they can build it back if they lose it all. So we need to figure out how to balance this out to where we move from a government pension system, social security, to people being responsible for it, being responsible for their own financial security because someone in DC doesn't know how to invest your money. Someone in Tallahassee doesn't know how to invest your money and someone in Phoenix doesn't know how to invest my money that I give them as an interest-free loan. I know how to best manage my money. You know how to best manage yours, right, Clint? I do. Underlying issue that I think that um... You know, what we really need is to get back to sound money, because as you said, we are best at managing our own investments. And I think that relying on the government to take care of us is it's a loser's game. Like it's going it's going to come up, come back and bite us. But ultimately, even if you were to get rid of welfare, Social Security, all this, as long as they're able to inflate the currency, we can't really safely invest and expect to have a future uh, of financial, you know, salvation like because they can they can undermine the currency with which we are investing uh so what's your what's your stance on how we should remedy that is would you address the federal reserve what do you think i would address the federal reserve that we need to maybe it would be a hard push to get rid of it because it's so interwoven in our society but i say allow competing currencies bitcoin ethereum let people pay with competing currencies and not necessarily the u.s dollar and let the marketplace, which I believe in full-heartedly, truly decide what is the best currency to move forward with. Because we don't need regulations of the cryptocurrencies because then we're just going to turn them into a, a computerized version of fiat money, which is already exists. So And is already a disaster. This, so, yeah. So you would like to just yeah. open up competition to currencies? Yes. Let people decide. If me and you want to transact business in Bitcoin, screw the U.S. dollar. If we want to transact in dollars, that's great too. But it should be the individual's choice. Because we need to get back. Because here's a question for you, Clint. What is the smallest minority in the world? The individual. Very good. Most most people actually are starting to understand that. They're starting to go, wow, actually it is the smallest minority is the individual. It's beautiful. But we need to get back and let people make choices. And show them that you can make a choice, but you're responsible for it.
you can't yeah. externalize your bad choice onto someone else because no one is obligated to take care of you. Well, I, I think that we have an opportunity to, to, you know, inform the American people that, um, you know, they have been undermined every step of the way that inflation is, is, a you know, it's an invisible tax that's, that's affecting all of us. And, and the Austrian uh, economists, the libertarians in particular, have been right about this issue for a very long time, that you cannot borrow and spend infinitely and not expect to pay a price eventually. And we are now starting to pay that price in a very meaningful fashion, not just because of the printing and the borrowing, but also because of the lockdowns, which broke the supply chain. Uh, I would like to know what would your position be on repercussions for the people that led us down this primrose path to doom economically because uh there's a lot of anger towards these people and i'm curious if you think that they should pay a price for what they've done to us they should pay a price but we the american people have to make them pay that price and making them pay that price is voting them out of office that's the that's the best price you can get them because i don't believe in a lot of the the criminals like people want to play criminal game like no vote them out Make them to where it's like, okay, if I piss off enough people, I'm voted out. Because then they'll have that self-preservation mentality kick in that we all have. And they'll be like, okay, what does my constituency want? They want this. I need to listen to them. Like me being, like when I get elected, when I'm on recess, I'm going to come back to my district and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drive Uber. Like people think that's funny, but it's the truth because that's how you meet people. You don't meet them at rallies with plants in the audience. You meet them where they're at. Someone coming back from a business trip, back home in my district. I can talk to them, find out what's, what's going on with them. Someone who may be struggling, I can find out maybe, okay, here's how we can help them get government out of the way of doing something for them so they can actually grow and become the people they were meant to be. And that's really what it is, is politicians have gotten away from being in the dirt with the people and talking to them. Like I did the two-way rally here in Phoenix. I did the MLK rally and I did end of damn wars. At the MLK rally, it was nothing but Democrats, no Schweiker, no Republicans. At the two-way rally, there was people running for con there was people running for governor, secretary of state, all this. Very conservative group. Where was David Schweiker? Oh, not there. That's the problem is you have conservatives and libertarians. So I want to be out in the people because I want to remember where I came from and who ultimately I answer to is my constituents. I don't answer to a corporation that wants to pack, put pack money and put advertising out for me. I don't answer to you because all you're doing is giving me money. The people I answer to are the ones that are in my district that I see day in and day out. Those are the people that I answer to. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, um, you know, oftentimes when the Congress people are voted out, the corrupt ones, they just cycle into the corporate news circuit or they cycle into lobbying positions. Uh, this is why my belief, even though ultimately I don't trust the government to implement this, if we are going to see any sort of real course correction, I think that the politicians that that broke the economy and broke the American principle of live and let live, uh, have to pay a criminal price. That's my honest opinion. And I don't say that lightly. I think that, you know, and, and also, you know, you said that you can vote these people out, but the truth is you can't vote them all out because Anthony Fauci is not an elected person. And he, and he, you know, presided over the complete 
destruction of the American way for the past two years. I feel like that is an opportunity for you. I'm not, I'm not demanding that you do it. I'm just saying from my vantage point, I would prefer to, to support a candidate that saw what they did as criminal and felt that they deserve to pay a price for it. Um, so I'll let you deal with that. However you, however you will. Okay. And that's actually, and I can actually see that position. I can see how you logically came to it and how you emotionally came to it. And I understand that. My question is, is what would you charge them with? Or would you make up a new law to charge them? That's the question. Well, I think when, with Fauci, it, it could easily be argued that he's guilty of mass murder <laughs> for, for withholding okay, what, early treatment from people. What is the burden of proof? Do we have, do we have physical evidentiary proof that he knowingly withheld stuff do we have if yes. we have that burden of proof then maybe we can go that route but we also have to deal with qualified immunity because he's technically a government official and it's what is reasonable is the is the burden of proof for qualified immunity what 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 would a reasonable human do well he, that's he's the question this is where certainly He's he's on the record uh, under you know direct inquisition by uh, Rand Paul, where he denied his culpability in the funding of the Wuhan laboratory, uh, denied what the the research actually entailed. I think all of that should be viewed as, if not a potential mass murder, potential war crime, uh, or at a minimum, you know, fraud, where he or or at least perjury, like he at least perjured himself by by denying his role in those things. So. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to hold your feet to the fire here. I'm just saying this is my position on it. Oh, and I understand your position, and that's and like I said, that's a very logical position to hold. the The problem we run into trying to implement something is perjury. Is that's where where is that a victim crime or not? That's where it gets into for me. Now, if you defrauded people, then yeah, that's a crime. Mass murder would be a stretch. You couldn't make it. You couldn't make case, but you could probably make a good case for fraud, and that yeah. would be enough. Well, I'd say at a minimum. That that would that would probably be the best you could hope to get him on is fraud, and then you destroy his credibility. That that's the that's the only way you can really get politicians and people in government and bureaucrats to change. You have to take their credibility away from them, and you have to show the American public in a very thought out throw away that yes, this person has violated our trust we put in them. They violated it by saying no mass, then mass, six feet. That was an arbitrary decision. Six feet was scientists have said, we don't know where that came from. It was just I guess they just were throwing darts and said, oh, six, that works. That's how many feet people need to stay apart. It doesn't well well it was it wasn't just that. The the entire concept of lockdowns was a high school girls project i mean this was all nonsensical and it was it was created in i think 2005 under the bush administration i don't think that they ever expected to use it but then they used it for you know an airborne respiratory virus which is it's totally inefficacious even even under that um that line of thinking so i don't know the, the reason i'm i'm bringing it up is because i think that the you know the trump campaign in particular was extremely successful he he ran on a chant of lock her up and there's a, there's a ton of animus towards these people and ultimately i agree with that animus i think that these people have have presided over us in a way that is um you know they've run rush roughshod over our liberties but more importantly 
They have, you know, treated us as if we're slaves for the past two years. And if these politicians don't pay a serious price, and that price can't just simply be getting thrown out of office, I don't see how we actually have any real meaningful reform moving forward where the politicians begin to fear the American people again. Uh, because at this point, they don't fear us at all. They know that once they're voted out of office, they're going to get a, a, you know, a golden parachute and a, and a seven-figure deal with CNN or Halliburton or whatever. And it's like, that has to change if we're going to recover this country. That's my personal opinion. And, and I respect that opinion. I can agree with it. For me, though, is reputation is the most important thing any person has in power. Reputation matters more than anything else to them. If you destroy their reputation so full-heartedly in the American public, and you do it factually, why would CNN, Fox News, like with, uh, oh, who was the dude in the 80s with the Iran-Contra affair? Ollie North. There we go. Yeah, Oliver North, yeah. But if, they, but if these companies, which are money-driven, start to realize that, oh, people don't like this person, they're not going to tune in when he speaks, we're not going to hire him. That's a market solution to a problem. I don't well, believe it, it, it would be a market solution, Jeff. But you just said Oliver North. Oliver North has been on Fox News for decades now, despite his involvement in Iran Contra. Uh, also, you have James Clapper, you have John Brennan, former heads of the CIA that perjured themselves egregiously in front of Congress mm -hmm. uh, when they lied about uh, you know the spying on the American people, and they get a fucking yeah. six-figure, seven-figure job at CNN too. So, like, I don't think that the American people are uh, privy to the, the extent of the depravity. And I just feel like it, unless we're going to have, uh, you know, criminal charges brought against these people when they, they violate our rights in really egregious ways. I mean, Clapper and Brennan are fucking terrible. Uh, and Fauci, I put even higher than them in terms of uh, infringing on our rights. So it's like, I just don't think that you can rely on reputation destruction to actually get us back on a, on a good path. It, you know, that's my take. I, 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 I understand that, Clint. I'm just looking at it from a practical point of view more so than anything else. That's, that's really how I, I think about stuff. I think about stuff in a very practical, like in the E-Prescott interview, they're like, who would you caucus with? I'll caucus with other libertarians. Anyone who wants to advance the causes of freedom, liberty, and justice, I will deal with you. If you are a closed-minded individual, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with you because I'm not going to talk to a brick wall. There are people that want my message and want to go, we're willing to work with him. Because so I've talked to people who flew Trump flags at their house when I worked for Amazon. I went up and talked to them, and they're like, they're like, man, I wish I wasn't a registered Republican. I'd sign your petition right now. And that's the power of the message that I have. And well, I did... I just think, I just think that it, you know your, your position of power that you're running for gives you the right to you know potentially actually remedy some of these issues and i think that if you're going to to persuade people to give you an opportunity to represent them you're going to have to bring a, something that's that's very profound and different and unique and i think that unfortunately what would be profound and different and unique in this era would be politicians that violate our rights paying a criminal price for doing so and, and I know this sounds kind of unlibertarian of me to even bring it up because I'm ultimately believing in the system to regulate itself. But if the system is reformable and it and a revolution isn't justified, then that's the can't just expect this this revolving door from the corporate media 
back into politics, back into K Street, and and all of this to continue anew and and in perpetuity without this country completely collapsing. And I feel like we don't have a lot of time left. And this is why I'm kind of swinging for the fences here in saying I want these guys to pay a criminal price for what they've done in terms of violating our rights. To to lie about collecting all of the data on all of the American conversations that are going on um, under yeah. the pretext of the Patriot Act. Like, how is that not worthwhile of criminal charges? I mean, to me, it's just so blatantly is. Um, so I just feel like if a libertarian can't say it, we have no chance of anybody saying it. And that's that's my concern. Okay. Was it within this? This is the thing. Was it within the letter of the law under the Patriot Act that they could do it? Because I'm, I'm trying to think back because that's a while ago and I have a little PTSD. So my memory sometimes not as great as it should be. Well, it, it probably it, was because they, they can justify anything. But I, I'm saying in terms of when he goes in front of Congress and he perjures himself. It, and as you said, sure, I guess that's a victimless crime. But but the, the crime he's lying about is not victimless. I mean, we are all a victim of it. So uh, I would be willing to enforce that severely. And the fact that as a congressman, you would have the power to do so. That that's the type of kind of revolutionary attitude I'm looking for in candidates that I would want to support is someone who would actually take that power to punish the people that lied to Congress, especially when it's something as egregious as, as spying on every man, woman, and child in this country. I mean, you, you can't get a much higher bar for treason, and that that leaps right over it. I mean, these people are absolute evil as far as I'm concerned. So. Um, anyways, I, I won't keep skewering you on it, but I'll give you one last opportunity to see if you if I've if I've persuaded you at all. You've you've done a little bit, but for me, I have to be one of those people that I'm one of those people. I very much believe in this. People can say this is naive. I believe that the law applies to everyone equally. If they did not break the letter of the law and they passed the law, then the justice system's really kind of tied. Now, what we can do. To get around that is repeal the Patriot Act and make any violations of the civil rights retroactive. There's that way around it. Then okay. we can go into the criminal route. But until you repeal the Patriot Act and the law that actually allowed them to do it, it's moral outrage at that point. It's not criminal outrage until you repeal the law that gave them the ability to do that. Once you do that, you can you would have to really tap dance it, but you could make it retroactive. Sure. That's how it needs to be done. Well, because if they did it under the letter of the law. Say that again. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, obviously my top priority is getting people in power that will actually respect our fucking rights. Um, you know, that would be that would be kind of a great starting point. But until we get there, I think that the only way that you're going to get libertarians in, in power is for us to run on something as stark you know so starkly different from what they can get from the duopoly true for the people that violate our rights I, I really believe that that's something that we can the american people that no other politicians will actually follow through on because if they're going to get in front of congress and lie to congress which they do regularly and they pay no price all these other guys can be because they represent the out group of the political power that powers that be, they can be brought up on charges and it requires presidential pardons for them not to see serious prison time. It's like, we don't have a just a judicial system that treats people equally. I mean, it's ultimately predicated on your, your political beliefs is, is whether or not you actually get justice in this country. And I think that as, as long as it's that way, 
you're going to be inching us ever closer towards violent revolution. And I don't want to see that mm. at all. But but I think I that if you, if you have a justice system that people don't believe in, they're going to start to take justice justice into their own hands. It's just oh. a natural human instinct, you know? It is. It's, and then you could have very well what people on the left talked about of the guillotine. And it's like, okay, cool. That goes back to the French Revolution and Robespierre and the terror. Because you could be brought to the guillotine for saying the wrong word. It was more or less just like a like a drumhead or a kangaroo according to Soviet Union. It's where does the line get drawn? Who gets to draw that line? Right. These are the bigger philosophical questions that need to be answered. Because who gets to decide? Is it like Batman, the last one in the Christian Bale trilogy, where you have Scarecrow sitting up there, already the sense is predetermined, it's death. Do how do we do it? It's, because because people charged with a crime, no matter the crime, have a right to due process, have a right to defend themselves. Sure. That's how we need to have this structured. And I don't and I don't know how to structure it right now. And I'm gonna be perfectly honest. I'm just yeah. telling like sort of how I see it and how it could be structured, but there are four hundred and thirty four other people that I'd have to talk to about that, in yeah. addition to the people in my district. Because of course, and that's fair. I, I'm I'm just I'm not saying how you would actually do it once you're in power. I mean, obviously, that's that's a ways off, and and it will require you to to convince you know a lot of people that they that they believe in you in a way that's serious enough that they're going to go out and cast a vote for a libertarian, which people are always uh, you know skeptical about doing. I think that this is the opportunity that you have in front of you that you can say, I am going to bring you know actual repercussions to the people that have infringed upon your rights and and i just think that if we don't if we don't have candidates that, that are running on that they probably won't get elected just being blunt like i think that 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 is something that is extremely appealing to a lot of people and i know that you're talking about live and let live and that seems kind of more of a uh kind of a peacenik attitude of like let's let's put this behind our, our us i think that we're not going to see actual reforms in this country unless we see the people that violate our rights punished for doing so because they've been punishing us egregiously for years and they don't pay a price and it's like and we didn't do anything mm -hmm. wrong you know they've actually done something wrong so anyways i know i keep i keep circling back to this i i want to wrap up here uh is there any th final note you'd like to leave with the people just i'm gonna be pretty honest like i'm gonna give you out my website and all that stuff obviously but just we need candidates that can speak to both parties because I talk to Democrats and Republicans on a daily basis, and they're so incredibly disenfranchised with those parties. My opponent, David Schweiker, won by 2,000 votes. He is unpopular among Republicans right now. He's going to get primary because he's an incumbent. He's going to pass right through to the general. Democrats are going to throw someone up. I'm not worried about him. It's me and David that are going to be fighting it out because I appeal to enough Democrats. I appeal to enough Republicans that I'm a legitimate threat now. Because I've had people that say, I am pro-David Schweiker, and then I explain to them my position. They're like, actually, I agree with that more. That's what they need is, even if I don't win, because winning may not be in the cards in 2022. 2024 may be win. But if I can get the message out there, and I can make the message loud enough and palpable enough and palpable enough for people to go, wait, this actually makes a lot more sense. Let's, mm -hmm. let's come together because... I don't want tribalism. I understand it exists. It's human nature. We tri we're tribal. 
But when it comes to making rules that govern a society, we need to do it based from logic and reason, not emotion and knee-jerk reactions, because knee-jerk reactions got us the Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. Knee-jerk reactions got NDAAs put in there. Those are knee-jerk reactions. Gun control measures, knee-jerk reactions. How many times they'll, a lot of people don't know what a school shooting is defined as. If someone goes to a school parking lot and there's no one in class, school's closed, and they shoot themselves and they commit suicide, it's classified as a school shooting. Mm -hmm. Wait, what? (laughs) How is it if there's no one other than the person who killed themselves, how is it a school shooting if they did it in the parking lot? I really want answers to that question. And no one's been able to give me a concrete answer why. We make rules and laws really based off of a very small percentage, like a mass shooting or Mm -hmm. 9-11. When you actually look at the math and the statistics, you're more likely to win the lottery than you are to be killed by a terrorist. Right. Yeah, it's just that... But we make these knee-jerk reactions because people play on people's emotions. That's not how you govern a country. Because your emotions and my emotions are completely different. We just we need to start using some common sense and just come together and go, okay, you want to increase the minimum wage. Okay, that's cool. Why? How's that going to help people that live in San Francisco that can't afford $15 an hour because it doesn't get you shit? But someone in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, $15 an hour, that's pretty good for them. Mm-hmm. And we need to stop having one size fits all and knee jerk emotional reactions and start going historically, what did this do? How did it work? Because as Thomas Sowell said, you never judge a program based on the promises, you judge it based on the outcomes. And basing judging the government's programs based on outcomes, the government has failed miserably at everything it's done. Seven hundred thirty eight billion dollars in debt and just defense. And we have twelve aircraft carrier battle groups. We don't need that many. China has one, Russia has one, Britain has two, and I think India has one. Two of those, two of those countries are our allies. China's carrier is absolutely garbage. Russia's carrier is not much better. Why do we need twelve? Well, to defend the dollar, of course. <laughs> um, well, anyways, Jeff, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. Um, you can follow me on all my social media. Is at winwithjeff2022, and my website is jeffmetric.com, M-E-T-R-I-C-K. You can go there, donate, see what I'm all about. If you live in my district and you're a registered Democrat or a registered Republican and you're like, you know something, I like what he's talking about, you can click on the link on Get Involved, Register to Vote, and you can actually flip your voter registration right then and there and become a registered Libertarian, no party affiliation, or independent. And that is a way we can really get the change we want to see done. Well, that's smart, man. Uh, uh, good, good to make it easy on people. Because uh, one thing I've learned about people is if you don't, if you don't make it easy, they're not going to do it. So that was a good idea. Yeah. Anyways, thank you for your time, Jeff. Um, everybody, go out and uh, and check out his website. And if you're interested in supporting him, feel free to do so. Thank you again. Thank you. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all.
Welcome to Liberty Lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweet from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus you're scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane You probably wonder what's happening Scared Hollywood Left these lyrical feppin' A typo with Luke Might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit Didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot But now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic I ripped for 59 Miles to ratio That black guns matter Now all these lefties Got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war But we're ready You know I be bopping And rock steady Liberty lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus you're scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe